the bloody pit i am rod barnett and with me returning once again is the mighty mark maddox how are things going on there in florida my friend um we're in quarantine uh i've got the smoking jacket the high-powered rifle i'm up on my (laughs) (laughs) up in the uh, bell tower whatever you know the family the family's calling to me i'm playing yes of course i'm playing chess with the statue of caesar it's uh you know it's great all, all is well, I take it. Yeah, actually, things are things are fine. We're, we're doing pretty good down here. But, yeah, we're laying low. We're laying low. Uh, you posted just today, I wanted to bring this up real quick before we move on. Uh, you posted up a piece that you did for the cover of uh, We Belong Dead. Yes. That is uh, Karloff in his 1936 Warner Brothers film, uh, The Walking Dead. Yes. Um, nice piece, but uh, that is a, that is a, an underseen and under-talked about Karloff film. That's a, that's a good one. Of course, being a Warner Brothers film, I guess that's the reason why it's not as seen as usual for films of that period by Karloff. It's, uh, it was seen quite a bit if you have have or had Turner Classic movies. They ran it fairly regularly. Um, I love the film. Uh, I, I saw it years ago. I actually started that piece in around 1992-1993. That's when I started. That, and I just, this year, finished it and, and, and got it over to Eric to, to use as a cover. I mean, it wasn't like I worked on it. I was about, wait, wait, you're usually a little faster than that. Yeah, what the hell? A little bit, just a bit. But the thing is, is that I love that movie, and my original interpretation was way in closer, just the portrait and the hand lurching a little bit. And uh, I had, and I, I think somewhere here in the house, I still have that iteration of it started, but I never got to finish it, never even got near to finishing it. And then about a year uh, or so ago, uh, Eric and I were talking about, you know, me doing some covers for the for the magazine or a cover, and I mentioned I had this Walking Dead piece I really wanted to do and I think he had somebody that was ready to write something about it Don DeBell I think I say I'm saying it's either Don DeBell or Don DeBell or anyway so she uh, uh, wrote the thing and I did the cover and uh, I tried to everything there is valid to the film that isn't just some generic equipment in the background that's the equipment that you know bits and pieces of that equipment from the film but I also kind of uh, meditated a little bit and said if that movie was in color what would the room color be maybe not quite so green maybe a little lighter but I I thought the green would be the room where they operated or brought him back to life and so that's that's it that's that's the cover and I was I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out you know I'm I'm a massive fan of the film so I I was glad to get back 
it's a it's a great little movie. It's one that uh, I had to seek out back in the '90s because it just at that time it just was not that easy to see. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're right. In the past fifteen or twenty years, uh, it's turned up on cla- on Turner Classics pretty regularly. Yeah. But uh, up up until up until then, there was a when I was first discovering, you know, like all of the really obscure Karloff and Lugosi films. That one was hard to come by. That one was uh, fairly difficult to find. Yeah, and even now to buy it, it's uh, DVD only at this point. I wish they would move it up to to Blu-ray. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's a. I'm sure with it being over there at Turner, I'm sure there is a restored copy, or or they're or they're so easy for them to get started because so many of those films are now restored. Um, in Turner's Turner's a, a strange thing and kind of a tragic thing. Everybody here in town had it. Uh, and then the cable company said, "No, you got to buy it now, and, and as a, as an extra off to the side with the Golf Channel or something like that." And people yeah. st- people started dropping it. That was the only reason for the longest time I had cable was because of, of Turner. I mean, I was paying eighty bucks a month, and the and the and the jewel in the crown of that for me was Turner Classic Movies. And now, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that are that are not using. It. It's a shame. It's like possibly the greatest station we've had you know it, it, it is to my mind and, and uh, yeah we lost it because our cable our cable system fucking Comcast uh, switched things around and fucked us out of Turner Classic Movies about I don't know nine months ago you it's and, the exact same thing that happened here it's Comcast or as I like yeah. to call it Crotchcast and They're, it's bullshit it, it's yeah. bullshit oh, that's right we can cuss on this show fucking assholes um, and, and they, and my, my mom was the last person I knew that had it, you know, cause she watched it all the time. And I mean, every time I went over to visit her, man, it's like, you know, put it on, put it on Turner. We love the old films. Fred and Ginger's on. That's fine. Whatever's on. Yep. And then she said, I, I had to get rid of it. I got rid of, uh, matter of fact, she got rid of her cable altogether because Comcast sucks so bad, but there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. I think we've got a streaming competitor here coming into town. They've had a monopoly here in this town, and that really sucks. So, um, yeah, that's that's the thing is like right now that's they're they're the only game in town for where we're sitting. Uh, if you want, because you know we get we get our uh, internet through them as well, and it's like, you know, it, it's one of those things where you almost cut your own throat if you just tell them to fuck off and just do internet because they try to gouge you because they know what you're doing. So. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where uh, I I've been streaming literally. Um, now for maybe 10 years, maybe more. I can't remember now. It's, it's been a long time and, um, and I haven't missed, I, I I mean, I miss Turner classic movies because it is kind of neat to have somebody that's got the programming going and you just turn it on and you, you take a chance, but usually with Turner classic movies, it's, it's something cool's on. Or something cool. Well, the thing I well the thing I always love about it is that coupled with a DVR means that you can just grab all these movies that only look you know that just look interesting that you may not know anything about. Sure. And that's how you end up discovering a bunch of films that you would you know you certainly weren't going to purchase, but you know aren't going to turn up anywhere else. Or and that's, or you that's might, part of the joy of it. Or you might purchase later. There's been movies I bought because I saw them on Turner Classic Movies. The other thing. Oh, yeah. Other yeah. thing too that people you know kind of. It, it, it still, even with the discs that we get and the Blu-rays and hell, even in some case 4K discs and, and all this kind of stuff, there's still something really fun about turning on a channel and, you know, the, you know, it's like around Halloween, 
and they're showing, uh, you know, uh, Hammer's uh, Dracula, or this is called here Horror Dracula, and you know that there's thousands of other people out there, maybe even more, out there in the rest of the world watching it at the same time you are. There's still a communal thing. It's almost a little bit like the movie theater in a way. Everybody's into it right at that same moment. And yeah. uh, But now, Turner Classic Movies, uh, I don't know what the hell they think they're doing. I think Turner Classic Movies ought to go to streaming. I'd just pay the 10 bucks a month for them. I'd go a la carte with them easily. You know, I pay for... Yeah, I pay. actually, I probably would. You're right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry that you guys are having the same problem. Comcast has always been awful, and they and they, they it's almost like the frog on the in the in the boiling water. You see, you turn it up slowly, and the frog just doesn't jump out, you know. But finally, there's people that are apparently they're losing thousands of people daily that are canceling Comcast subscriptions in this country. So I have no I have no sympathy for them. Oh no, they they've spent too many decades fucking people over for me to give the fir- first flying shit about them. So. Absolutely, nevertheless, absolutely. Let's uh, let's uh, let's tell them what we're up to this time around. We have decided. Actually, it was your suggestion. I want to thank you for it once again. We're going to talk this time about a specific story. Yeah. In classic Doctor Who history. It's from 1970. As a matter of fact, uh, it was broadcast in May and June of 1970. And it is Inferno, uh, which is the final story in the seventh season of Doctor Who. It was the final final episode or the final story of the first season starring the third Doctor, John Pertwee. Uh, It is... uh, one of the jewels in the crown from the 1970s. It is a very, very good episode. I mean, I'm sorry, a very good show. I'm going to call it episode or show. I'm going to I'm going to vacillate back and forth. It is one of those uh, stories that, for years, has been talked up as one of the be- one of the best ones that uh, they did from that period. And then when you when you see it, and even when you rewatch it, because I've now yeah. watched this uh, twice in just the past uh, just the past year. And I gotta say, this this thing really stands up very effectively. It is the very last one of a couple of yes. different things. First of all, it's the last time they did a story that was seven episodes long, and uh, I can kind of understand why. Because, well, you you understand why they like the longer serials early on, because it allowed right. them to uh, use the same sets and the same <laughs> cast for yeah. a longer period of time instead of having to reset and re you know build new sets and hire new actors in the whole nine yards. But at the same time, they would in the future do a few six-episode stories, but the the seven-episode stories went away. Of course, I'm a weirdo because one of my favorite stories they ever did was uh, Patrick Troughton's final story, which is ten episodes long, which is probably way too long, but at the same time, when you have a fun scenario... To me, it's sort of like uh, a little bit like a soap opera or like a comic strip at that point. But, you know, if the guys are doing their job, if the writers and the directors are doing their job, is that a bad thing? No, 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 not at all. And the thing is, um, it's very easy, and and I'm going to end up doing it with this, it's very easy to see how they took this this storyline... And added things to it to make it longer, and it's really easy to pick apart in that in that regard. But at the same time, yeah. I like all the pieces, so I'm not I'm not unhappy they're there. It's just that it's you know all you have to do is pay the slightest bit of attention and on a second viewing or even maybe even a first viewing to notice that there are things in it that don't necessarily have to be there, except they you know they add more story, they add more 
they add more uh, suspense and more length to everything that's going on. But all of the different pieces fit together so well that it doesn't really matter that you can, in real time probably, pull them apart and realize this piece didn't necessarily have to be there. This piece was, you know, they didn't have to have this there. And even one of my favorite things in the story, which is that, that there really is no explanation for, but... I'm still glad it's there, and I don't care. I don't care that there's no real explanation for it. Tell me something. When did you first catch Inferno? Uh, did you did you catch it? Because I didn't catch it until uh, it came to uh, VHS tape. I saw it first in the I had uh, seen late '90s. A John Pertwee episode, uh, a couple episodes of Doctor Who, back in the early '70s. Uh, Time Life brought over a package of ten story arcs with John Pertwee. It was in color, so they felt the Americans, you know. They were stupid, so they had to, you know, send over color episodes. Yeah, we're 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 not going to deal with black and white. That we were and just so my brother and I were at my aunt's house, and school there had already started. We still had a week or two before, you know, where we lived. That you know that there was. Um, we still had a couple of weeks before our school started up, so we're there. You know, it's kind of cool too, because you know all the other kids are back in the prison, and you're like, <laughs> so you're there watching TV in the middle of the day, but you're kind of screwed because in the middle of a weekday, <laughs> it's you know, let's make a deal and soap operas and all this kind of stuff. So my brother and I are switching around, you know, praying to God to give us something to watch. And there's two guys <laughs> in a pub and they start having an argument and a fight breaks out. And I'm going, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a soap opera because it's on videotape. But I said, but they're speaking British. Okay, maybe this is a soap opera that they went over to England. Or this went on for... Wait, wait, they're, they're speaking British? But they're speaking with British accents, I should say. <laughs> well, even that, technically, you could say they're speaking British because there's there's uh, catchphrases and uh. and slang and things like that and affecta- that are British and not American, right? So, okay, or I okay. guess I could say they're speaking the Queens. Does that make you feel better? Fucker. Oh, sure, sure. So sure, anyway. We'll just let that roll. Shut up. So anyway, <laughs> we're watching it, and we, I just figured we're watching something just a little different. It's not quite a soap opera, but it's on videotape, so we're pretty much certain. And then all of a sudden, there's these army men out in the yard, and they're shooting machine guns at this gargoyle that's jumped off of a church, and they're shooting at it. And me and my brother, who had been bored as hell... For the last couple of hours, flipping the flipping the remote control back when it was like maybe 10 channels, 12 channels at the most with cable. We looked at each other, and I don't think we high-fived, because high-fiving wasn't on the but we looked at each other and went, yeah, we struck gold. I mean, it was like, yes. We didn't know what the hell this was, but we made sure for the next couple of days, two or three days, before we went back home, that we didn't miss the show. And it was called Doctor Who. And it was yeah. the episode called The Daemons, which is Jesus's oh, yeah. witness is a is a reinterpretation of Quatermass in the pit. I mean, it's oh, most assuredly it, it is. It is. I've always referred to the de- demons as the it's the Quatermass in the pit. Doctor Who ripoff that I'm perfectly happy. Oh, with. I love it. I loved it. I mean, I couldn't believe how cool this thing was. And then finally, at the end, this devil, giant devil guy comes out. He's what do you want? And there's a slobber coming out of his mouth and the horns and the and the uh, calf legs and all that stuff. So anyway, we saw this and I thought, that is so cool. Went home. That failed. Time life. Nobody was like, why? Because the idiots put it on in the middle of the day. Most people put it on when kids weren't around to see it. So nobody ever saw it. It went. It went home. It was. It was in disgrace. It was like, okay, that's it. The, the ratings. There were no ratings, and it went home. 
So time goes on, and I see a few pictures in a magazine here or there. There's a magazine called TV Sci-Fi with this, uh, and I forgot the name of the show. I had forgot the name that it was called Doctor Who. But I saw this, uh, I bought these giant tabloid size color magazines called TV Sci-Fi around the time Space 1999 and the Bionic people were were big. Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Star Trek was still big. And I'm looking through it and I see these pictures from the show called Doctor Who, but it didn't register with me because it was photographs of the actor Tom Baker. And I'm like, I've never seen this. It looks like it might be intriguing. I even got books that had pictures of Cybermen and stuff in it. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. Gee, it looked like it could be cool that it would come over here. It looks it looks like it would be really cool, but then when you see it on screen, you go, oh boy. So around 80, 1980, all these PBS stations start running Doctor Who. They start right off with Tom Baker because it was such a huge hit. Start off with Robot, and it's an ex- it yeah. explodes. Doctor Who explodes in this country. From the back door, Doctor Who explodes. Thank goodness. We finally got it over here, and it, and we needed it. We need it as an alternative to other science fiction shows and movies and stuff. If you don't like this, if you don't like that, if you don't like that, maybe you'll like this. And a lot of people responded to it. For a lot of people, it's their favorite sci-fi. So that went on for about a year or so. And then they're like, okay, what about there's a new guy going to start playing him soon. But then there's older stuff. There's stuff from previous guys that played him. And the night that Georgia Public Television ran for their, uh, what do you call it, their, were their fund, their fund drive, you know, uh, raising money. Yeah. They said, we got this, we got this show. Now we got an earlier Doctor Who episode uh, with the guy, John Pro, And I saw his picture and I went, oh my God, that's, this is, I mean, I knew it already with Tom Baker. When I started watching the Tom Baker, I said, this is like that show, but it's not, but it is, but it's not, but it's, you know, drove me crazy. <laughs> But then when they put Inferno on, it all connected. Now that I knew that the Doctor regenerated and stuff like that, and the the pledge drive was Inferno. That was what they showed that Saturday night. And because they had oh. the pledge breaks in it, that was like four hours. I was about four to say, hours. It, had to be it was as hell. long as hell, but I loved it. It was like a, an event. It, I mean, it was this huge thing. And so that's where I first saw it. I loved it. I've always loved it. I've watched it like you. I've watched it twice this year. And um, I never get tired of it. Um, you say that it's a jewel in the crown. I, I think to me there's tons of jewels. With I mean, it's more like jewels with that time period of Doctor Who than there are. Oh, I guess I should have specified. I think of Inferno as one of the three best John Pertwee stories. Okay, that I mean, I'm not even going to argue with you. I mean, yeah, I mean, God knows I've watched it enough. I think that there's a lot of great Doctor Who shows. I mean, uh, oh, his yeah. Patrick Troughton. I, I did not like as much early William Hartnell, but when it started, you know, moving the last couple, yeah, the last couple of seasons of Hartnell, it really starts to feel like the show that I love. Yeah. And I love I love the entire Troughton run, and I uh, yeah. I still I still cry about the missing the missing episodes uh, and the missing yeah. stories. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. I mean, I, I told you, man. I was at the convention at the Ironworks in uh, in uh, Georgia. Where was it in Georgia? Columbus, Georgia. At the convention where where uh, Patrick Troughton was there, I go and I I go into the room to hear him speak or whatever, and the lady's sitting there at the desk, and I said, "How come there's nobody here? Where's Patrick Troughton?" And they said. He died last night. 
Yeah. And I was, I, I got mad. I thought it was just a, a horrifically awful. I said, that is a horrific convention room. And the lady looked at me and goes, he died last night. And I went through that whole convention, even with meeting people. I'd never seen, first met DeForest Kelly, first met Jimmy Dewan, George Decay, uh, the lady who played Vasquez in Aliens, Jeanette Goldstein, yeah. the guy who was currently playing the master, uh, Anthony Ainley. I mean, just all these great people. But I went through that whole convention still having a great time, but thinking that it was a lie. Until we were leaving the city that morning and looked over at the newspaper rack and it said, Doctor Who actor dies here in town. And I was just like, yeah. I mean, it was just like I just refused to believe it. And uh, as a matter of fact, even they even had footage. Uh, somebody put it on YouTube a few years ago of footage from that day with him horsing around with, with people that, that day before he he went upstairs and had the heart attack. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's selfish of me to say, gee, I, you know, I wish I could have met him before he died. I mean, it's not like that, but it just it's just weird. It's sur- well, it's, sur- it's really rough, though, to I mean, it, it, it's it, you're in such a weird position because you're that close to actually meeting him. You know, you're you're literally in the same place with the express purpose of being able to meet him. And he passes away there he was still horsing around the way he did you saw footage of him at other conventions like the big chicago doctor he was horsing around and being that same kind of person that he was at conventions and even in episodes of doctor who what he was running and and spinning and being afraid and you know all the kind of things that he did he was he was very it looked like he was playing with kids and 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 teasing them and, and joking around with people and i was like oh my god this is just great you know but it's painful at the same time to look at. So, um, but this John Pertwee episode, it still fits within that whole template. I think the, the show still feels the same way until like the first two or three seasons of Tom Baker uh, before the guy with the Hawaiian shirts takes over. And then I think it starts to, for me, it starts to go downhill a bit. I'm not a big fan of the. I think it's John Nathan. Well, I don't. I don't agree. I feel the show. I feel the show changed over time, and it and there were, you're, basically you're expressing the the kind of standard American fans' uh, view of classic Doctor Who, which is, of course, uh, Tom Baker's your favorite, I'm sure. And there are other you know other other of the Doctors you enjoy watching. And uh, what right about the time they replaced Tom Baker, you get less interested, and the further along it went, the less you gave a shit. And uh, I can understand that, but I see I never came to I came to it through videotape primarily. I caught some Tom Baker on PBS when I was younger, right. and really enjoyed. That's where I learned my love of the show. And then I read a bunch of the novelizations, which at the time was really the only way you know when I was a kid. Right. To see a bunch of this stuff, to, 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 to quote unquote see some of this stuff, uh, because you know if it wasn't you know if it wasn't being shown on a Saturday night in the PBS on the you know PBS station that you could you know pull in right then you were you you were SOL right so it's uh, one of those things where uh, the by the time I was watching uh, the stuff on VHS tape, it was a combination of of. Stuff like that that people had taped off of their PBS stations and were circulating, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they started actually putting uh, different stories out. And those omnibus formats, instead of in the ep- the episodic way, you know, the way they would cut them together. Sure. They would cut the various episodes together into one big long story. Yeah. Uh, they would put the, they put those out initially on, on VHS, a, b- a bunch of the 
uh, a bunch of different stories of that type. Usually only color stuff, so really only pert we forward for the very for the longest time. Right. Well, and so. Okay. I came to it really helter skelter with the knowledge that the about the knowledge of the regenerations being part of something that I picked up through the books, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, you know honestly watching these uh, watching these shows on these VHS tapes and at the time having no way to to know which one might be like the first or the last of a particular doctor and therefore just wondering if I was ever going to run across one of the regeneration episodes. Right. And so uh, I stumbled through kind of. Tom Baker, Colin Baker, Peter Davidson, and Sylvester McCoy just in a jumble just as I could get my hands on them, sure. usually borrowing, borrowing them from a couple of friends. Right. And so to me, uh, it was it was it was just different flavors. The only the only the only phase of the show that I really felt that I didn't enjoy nearly as much, and it took me a few years to figure out why, is the Sylvester McCoy years. And it's basically because and it like I said, it took me a while to figure it out. But it's because you're never in the TARDIS. Mm. And I couldn't figure it out forever. They did away with any shots of the TARDIS interior for like years. For like two of his three years while while they were doing the show with him. Mm-hmm. And it was all you basically the you know the they would show up and come out of the come out of the TARDIS and then be on location. There was something just about the feel of the show then it was just like there was no home base, you know? You were never at home. The character was never at home where you were, you felt like the there was that relaxation that you could get with all the other doctors where once you were in the TARDIS, everything was fine. You know, it's when the TARDIS got somewhere and you got outside the TARDIS where shit, shit started going weird. And so I could never, it took me years to pin it down, but that's what bothers me still about a lot of the Sylvester McCoy stuff, even though I think some of the stories are pretty damn good. There's a, there's a weird feeling in that period where it's just like, can we just go inside the TARDIS, please? Is it is it that expensive to shoot in the set for fuck's sake? Well, you just said a, you just said a bunch of stuff about me that I I was like. Well, no, I mean, because you, you, your favorite is Tom Baker. I mean, that's that's pretty standard. I think right? he's easily the, the most most watchable of the Doctors. I think that I love Patrick Troughton almost as much. Yeah, Tra- Troughton's my favorite. Tra- yeah, Troughton's my favorite. And I don't favorite. and I don't blame I you him. for saying that. But 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 yeah. you said stuff, and I'm like, well, wait a minute now. You weren't there when I was there. This thing because you saw it. In a, well, yeah. Well, how were you catching the shows? Were you were you catching? Well, no, no, uh, no. But, but, but were you catching it things. on P, primarily there, on PBS or was it on VHS? Well, there was two. Um, I don't want to say prejudices. It sounds too 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 weird. There was two. There was two assumptions. <laughs> there was assumptions on oh, okay, your okay. part that um, one of them was that I watched them, and as they went along, I got bored and and or tired or whatever, and I hated them. No, that's not true. You are wrong. Really? What it is, is that I was watching the shows and enjoyed them the first run, but trying to rewatch them a second time, I found multiple things that I did not like as much. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tear into any doctor, first off. I think. Well, no, no, no. no. What were you. What, but what were the things that on uh, second viewing you weren't enjoying? Mean, I found, first of all, I found were some you, stuff to were you watching that? Were they being shown in order, or what was I going on? I could just see them anyway. I mean, I've got I've got stacks of Doctor Who DVDs. I had v, I had every VHS. Well, not even have every VHS. I had a lot of the VHSs. I had access yeah. to it. I had friends that had the stuff, so that was no problem. What I found was that I was watching uh, Tom Baker, uh, loving him. I loved the fact he was so comfortable in front of the camera, and that the hero could be. Let's be honest, not not he was damn sure not an Errol Flynn. 
I mean, although he did run around and get into physical action, I mean, he did not have the matinee idol look, which was nice. I mean, it was like the, the hero has got a big old nose and curly hair and he you know it's like it's like seems like a bit of a goof seems yeah, like yeah. a bit of a goof but is 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 incredibly charming and you look at like patrick Troughton, there's mo you look at you look at uh, john <laughs> pertwee there's danny k you look at you look at tom baker there's harpo marks i mean it's like it's like these are their heroes and they go completely against the Captain Kirks and the John Robinsons and all that kind of stuff, which was incredibly yeah, refreshing. But yeah. those people were great actors. I mean, I'm not saying that Shatner and, and Guy Williams weren't they, but they acted in that kind of Western sort of sort of thing. The Brits are like, well, yeah, but those 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 characters are in the hero mold as as uh, as kind of in the. Um kind of in the, the the stereotypical hero mold instead of what Doctor Who is which is he's more of an adventurer instead of a hero typical hero kind of character right. he's the guy who who is an adventurer and who wants to help people who need help but he doesn't act like he's you know a, strutting into a an air, an area and taking control of a situation although that is kind of what he right. does so so you've got you've got these shows I get to Peter Davison, who um, I'm just not enamored with. I try to watch him now, and I just I do not get that. I do not get that. They went with a pretty boy, and I was like, you know, I like the fact that that our our doctor looked like a common person or even an eccentric person for a change. I found the stories to get a little bit dreary and a little bit repeating. Yeah, yeah. Some, some of the some of that's that's well, the problem. That is a, a good a good problem that I agree with about the Peter. Okay, Davis but let years, me let me is... let me let me finish because I wanted to get this big overarching point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that around the time that John Nathan Turner went off the chain and every episode started off weird and you were sort of like had your feet kind of kicked out from under you. Uh, even I remember the one episode with, and, 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 and I will say this, I'm going to say the same thing about this that I say about James Bond. While I have my pre- preferred James Bond actors in, in the order you and I were talking about before the show even started, I have my personal favorite order of Doctor Who's who I like from the best to the least. There is not a single person who played Doctor Who, and I'm not going to put the Peter Cushing thing in there because that's a completely different character. Yeah, it's different. just a different thing. It's like, and I don't even dislike that. It's just that's like some other kind of Doctor Who. But every person that played Doctor Who was a damn good actor. Oh, hell every yeah. person, and I like them all. The thing is, they wouldn't they wouldn't have gotten the role. They wouldn't have gotten the role if they were not. They were they were damn good. And so, but by the time you get to the Colin Baker, who I feel pretty bad for, I think he got kind of screwed. In a lot, got lot, a lot of ways, and and, uh, and and so you've got him, and you've got Sylvester McCoy, and around that time, the big thing in Britain seemed to me, and people might say that's wrong. Well, this is my opinion from the point of view that I can see it. But the big thing, and I still think it infects it a little bit to this day. The big thing was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and you had to have things so out of whack and so bizarre and wild. It's almost like everybody was trying to sort of like the hitchhiker is so huge it was such a huge like everything you know a spaceship is hovering over the sky and the way bricks don't that kind of thing and so and so they would do that every doctor who episode became a this is this oh but it isn't it's completely flip-flopped and and i got tired of it after a while well i would have to say i I see what you're talking about. I've never really thought about it in those ways, but I'll be honest. But I started to started to creep. 
Yeah, a bit of that started to creep in because <laughs> Douglas Adams was, you know, running the show during the Tom Baker years. And so a lot of that kind of bled off into the show during the Baker years when he was when he was shepherding it. I mean, by the time yeah yeah yeah, Nathan I, Turner, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Gone. I think I got the feeling. I, I'm not. Let me back that up. I, I, well, they wanted the show. They wanted the show gone because they they felt it was too expensive, and they, they there was a there was a re, there was a regime in uh, the BBC that, in all honesty, felt embarrassed by the show. Okay, so here's my question. Most guys that were producers, like the the head producers on Doctor Who, I don't think any one of them went more than like what four years or something like that. Isn't that wasn't that about the average? I mean, yeah, yeah, because a lot of them saw a, a lot of them, uh, and they talk about it in a lot of different interviews. Uh, a lot of them saw it as uh, just another uh, just another step in their career. But they always knew when to yeah. back down, and I think John Nathan Turner didn't know when to, and I think it hurt the show. And I think there were other people looking around going, you know, this guy needs to give this up and hand it over to somebody else before, you know, people really do get mad and want to end the show. And I think I think it needed fresh blood, and I think it, it just started looking like the John Nathan Turner show. I mean, to me, now that is. You know, that's just my opinion. I and and I want to stress that because I think that there. I mean, one of my absolute all-time favorite episodes. Uh, but of course, we're getting back to almost that nineteen early nineteen seventies feel, or late sixties, early seventies, whatever. Is Remembrance of the Daleks? I think that is a it's yeah. a great episode. But what does it look like? It looks like Quatermass. They even reference Quatermass. They even talk about Bernard. In the episode, she uh, the the lady rocket scientist whatever she goes. Gee, I wish Bernard were here. You're talking about she wishes Quatermass was there to help. I mean, it was right in the middle of all that stuff. And I think that um, you know the show ended. It was sad. I felt bad for everybody. They did an American thing, and while I think that the uh, I forget the actor's name uh, who played him in the single film, he's he's proven himself with some little micro. Oh, Paul doctor. McGann, yeah, Paul McGann. Paul McGann yeah. went back later. That that little bit he did during the 50th anniversary was gold. I mean, it was great. Well, one of the one of the real joys. I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to them, but a number of the doctors, including Tom Baker, have been doing these wonderful audio stories. For big, yeah, big finish. finish, and dude, that is—I right. mean—that has been some wonderful stuff. Yeah, I know. We—it's—it's—it's it's, it's almost. It's almost a way to still get a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a way they do. They do the prisoner. They do space nineteen ninety nine. Now they're doing. You know, I mean, I'm like, this is great. Um, my overall feeling with Doctor Who is is that because I was from the from the decade i think we're, well you and i are like what about 10 years apart five years apart uh, I, I was born know. in 68 so yeah okay so well so i was born in late 61 so there's about seven seven year difference and that, that that can be kind of significant with 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 kids but i think that i just saw things a little differently you and i'm not saying you're wrong I don't feel like I'm wrong, but I just think well, it's, that, just a, it's just a it's, it's a, a it's a difference of opinion. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, right or wrong. Well, it's, not, it's, it's even more than that. It's 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 like it's sort of like where were you standing when this happened or that happened yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and perspective can be different. I mean, I still you know um, I still check them out. I still watch. I watch a I still watch a lot of Doctor Who. Um, it's a thrill when they you know do every once in a great while find more episodes that are missing. They 
I, I, I still to this day, I mean, we all just sit there and just smack our forehead and go, you know, they did that in this country too with TV shows like The Tonight Show, yeah. you know, and Johnny Carson, all that kind of stuff. And that's a tragedy. But actually written out and performed stories of Doctor Who, uh, you know, it's amazing to me that Dark Shadows is all complete on 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 disc for you to buy i mean given the fact the way people treat treated stuff back then oh yeah especially stuff that was seen as disposable and believe me at that time soap operas were definitely seen as disposable oh ferociously disposable as a matter of fact and to me and i look at doctor who and i go yeah shot on videotape but we're talking about this is like their star trek this is their which funny because star trek at the time wasn't really that you know that popular during the Troughton era, you know Doctor, uh, Star Trek was just kind of puttering along, and then ended in '69, and then got big around '70. You know '71, '70. It started building and building when it started being but, picked up in syndication. Yeah. Oh yeah, people started going nuts. I mean, by around '73 or so, whatever it was, really had a head of steam. It was. Yes, one thing you can say that's amazing about Star Trek over almost any of the other stuff, the Star Wars, the Doctor Who, and all that kind of stuff, is it was pretty much dead. It was dead in the water, and people loved it so much that they brought it back. That does that that didn't happen. That did not happen. It was like you already have to have momentum going. Nowadays, they pick up stuff because of what Star Trek did, I think. But it, you know, it was it was a phenomenon. Doctor Who kept trucking along in Britain. People loved it. They they should love it. It's great stuff. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I there's there's so much of it that's so good. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. Well, here's the thing there's for so me. Much. Even of the of the classic Doctor Who stuff, even the stuff that I like the least, I still like. In other words, even the dud, yeah, the dud episodes, me. even the dud stories, the ones that are just not as good, they, they're flubs, and they, the writing, you know, they needed more, they needed to work on the scripts a little longer, or they needed a little bit more time in the studio to get something right, or to get a performance where it needed to be. Uh, yeah. the, the, even those, fuck man, put a, put it in, and I'll push play. I don't care. <laughs> well, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, I I've seen a few. That I kind of got a little, I mean, maybe I kind of, I mean, there was certain uh, John Nathan Turner episodes I did kind of nod off to. And maybe it was just the wrong time of the day. But Well, I'll tell I you this. I did not originally. like, I did not like during the, uh, during the 80s when they switched from the 25 minute episode length to the 45 minute long episode length, where it's essentially, uh-huh. it should have been two episodes and they were, they were merging them together. And there, there's even the hinge point where there's the obvious cliffhanger where it should be broken up into two separate episodes. That still irritates me because I hate to say it, but I like my, and that's one of the, re, that's one of the problems I have with modern doctor who is I actually find that I prefer my doctor who in 25 minute chunks. I, well, I really do. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I think I think here's the unusual thing: we are Americans. You are from the United States. Oh yeah. I am from the United States. Our heritage is that our parents or our grandparents went to the movie theater and saw cliffhanger serials. Now, I love that. I love. I, it's part of even you even see it in my artwork that I do. I've got this sort of a sensationalist sort of thing about what I do. 
I mean, I play Jerry Goldsmith music when I paint. I, I mean, I love Rocket Man. I love the Captain Marvel serial where he's like just you know <laughs> slaughtering killing, people, <laughs> slaughtering people. It's beautiful, and it's like uh, um, or or just whatever the mysterious Doctor Satan. Uh, oh yeah, I saw the sausage films, Perils of Nyoka, all this kind of stuff. I love I love the old that, serials, man. There's not that, there's not a year that goes by that I don't watch at least one. Yeah, but that god damn thrill with the guy is fighting in the truck two guys are fist fighting in the truck and the truck goes over the cliff breaks through the thing and goes over the cliff and it continued next week now fast forward to the 60s when for a little tiny sliver of time Irwin Allen knew what he was doing <laughs> uh, early episodes of Lost in Space the first half uh, you know I, I say that I've got f four favorite television shows Classic Star Trek, Outer Limits, Johnny Quest, and The Prisoner. Those are my four favorite go-tos. Mm -hmm. But I also love the first two-thirds of the original season of Star Trek. I, th I mean, of uh, Lost in Space. I think that that is a great show, especially the first half. is pretty damn great. It's really good. But one of the things that was so cool about it was that continued next week segment... Dad standing out in the front of the saucer, mom, kids, they're doing an experiment. It goes up in the sky, boom, explodes, comes back down. This meteor's coming back down. The dad leaps, tries to get the kids out of the way, and it ends with the meteor almost hitting him. It says, da-da-da, and continue next week. That's showmanship. And that was one thing that the Brits had in common with us is that they would have a monster kick open a door, go, blah, like with Sarah Jane at the in one episode of the Zygons. Yeah. And it would go, Ooh, and then it would go to the credits, and I'd be like, "Holy shit, I gotta, I gotta see that tomorrow." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean of course, that was man. that was showmanship, and it's gone. It's gone with new Doctor Who. It's gone. Yeah, I mean, it uh, it's gone. It's gone. And I and I and I hate it. It's I it's, hate it. it's I one mean, of my biggest complaints about the new version of Doctor Who, which is they and I understand. They're, they're wanting they're wanting each episode to be self-contained, even if there's an overarching story that's going to be carried through an entire season. But at the same time, by conforming to the American hour you know hour long need for you know a forty five minute you know forty or forty five minutes of episode, so that it fits properly in with commercials into a one hour format, by by succumbing to that, it. You get these Americans don't even do that anymore. It, I mean, except for CSI or something like that, where they gotta prove who the child rapist is. You know, yeah. within within an hour. I hate that shit. We are so far beyond that now. We've got streaming. You watch twelve episodes that are one colossal story, or maybe multiple stories, like three or four stories that are overlapping. But we are so beyond. I mean, the Brits actually, you know, the, the Brits, the entire goddamn country. No, but the people that make Doctor Who went the other way. They went back to 1960s Star Trek. And I don't, under, and I don't understand it. I, I kind of, I wonder, and this this may be me stretching, and I have nothing to base this on other than what I can see that gets broadcast on BBC America. The, right. They seem obsessed with fucking Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> Okay. Okay. They they I do. Didn't know that, they do. Yeah. Well, dude. Okay. Scroll through what's showing on BBC America, literally any day of the week, and you're gonna find fucking Star Trek: The Next Generation. And it wow. seems to me that somebody somewhere went. That's our format. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I. I, I think. Um, yeah, they were still trying to. Uh, you know, Kirk, or in this case, Picard. 
and Data and them are standing on the bridge and a ship they're going to visit blows up and then by the end of the show they figured out what happened, who did it, why, what, and they resolved the issue. Yeah. And that is not the way that that is we are beyond that. Life doesn't work that way. Sometimes you never solve a problem. Sometimes I mean you could make something and have it go over seven seasons now. I mean it's the same thing that kind of hurt the Night Stalker. I mean of course now I can't fault them because that was early 1970 early to that's just the way television was made at the time yeah that was the way it was made at the time so i can't really fault them but there's been a lot of talk of man could the could, could you imagine if the night stalker had been multiple continued continue the story for three or four episodes with a werewolf or a vampire or some kind of or ebb and flow where um you know you get to um you get to you get to kind of swim in it and the writers get to get to get to build these giant story arcs but you know doctor who i mean we got i mean i'm watching some of those new ones i think like uh, you know and 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 here once again every person who has played the doctor has done a great job once yeah, again the agreed. modern doctors same thing they are all they've all been damn good. good actors but there's like episodes that have such a titanic colossal theme that is done in 40, 45 minutes or and the episode starts off and there's a spaceship hallway and the doctor's running and there's explosion and that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, okay, we know that you're moving at breakneck speed. We got it. We, we get it. We, you know, that doesn't necessarily make for great entertainment, but that show is resolved in 45 minutes unless it's a two parter. And that's supposed to be their big giant thing. Hey, tonight we're talking about a seven episode television show. Yep. You know, which and, which is which so, is longer than hell, and honestly, manages to pack so much into itself that it that it it maintains your interest throughout. Because there comes a point where it has by the time it's thrown its third curveball at you, you yeah. know, you, you're, you're you're just you you. There comes a point when you must realize, okay, I don't know what they're going to do next. <laughs> I really don't. By the time uh, Lethbridge Stewart swings around in that chair. And has no has no mustache and is wearing a fucking eye patch. You're just like, okay, I don't know what's going on now. I have no idea right. what now, they're pulling here. Now, I, I want to say something before we actually start chewing into this episode. And I, I will say this. I wish the new Doctor Who series well. I am a huge fan of all the actors who've played them. I think that I think that there's actually some really like like a level like some of these people are going to have an oscar in their fist someday oh yeah uh whether it's tenant or who is doing still kicking ass on on television he's doing movies, brilliant stuff. stuff did you see good omens uh yes i did but the one that i really loved was Broadchurch. yes he's very I good i think he was well. so good um uh, uh matt smith you know it's funny I, I wasn't quite as enamored with the writing in his in his episodes there was a little bit of that running through the spaceship I was it's like yeah, we got to make yeah. sure that everybody knows that they keep awake and it almost uh, counter it works against it but Matt Smith is a fucking damn fine actor and uh, which was a bit of a surprise uh, to me because I knew nothing about him when, when, they, when they hired Peter Capaldi it's like well I know he's a good actor <laughs> I fucking he got hired he got hired on uh, when he was working on the live presentation of, of Quatermass experiment when he was playing the other scientist in the live presentation oh, yeah. of Quick Mess experiment that they did. Uh, uh, Peter Capaldi um, loved him ever since Lair of the White Worm. Uh, he was a fantastic He's funny as hell. Some of that other stuff, where some of those other British TV shows where he's swearing. Oh, God. There's yeah. stuff that he says 
Was it I In mean, the Loop, the, the, the film version of one of them called In the Loop? Holy God. Uh, what was the one where he's standing there with the British Prime Minister and he's like looking at the oh, and he at just, the Washington. Yeah, and he dresses that guy yeah, down. He, yeah. Oh, it's insane. Well, well the, guy, the, guy goes, the guy goes, oh, he goes, oh, I'd love to have a monument like that after me. And he goes, <laughs> Peter Capaldi looks at him and goes, closest thing you'll ever get to that is buying a fucking Toblerone. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I had to play that back like four times. I laughed so hard. And Jodie Whittaker, I mean, I oh, don't she's brilliant. know. Yeah. I have only, I've only seen uh, like the first season, and I wasn't that enamored with the episodes. They were okay. The writing that has not been up to did, par. The writing has been kind of sloppy, I got to admit. But the Dalek episode was pretty damn good. Oh, there have been some standout episodes. Yeah. of that, that season. It's still, maybe because I'm an old fart, and it's like, I still want to see the old monsters on the attack, but it was good. <laughs> uh, I think I got no problem with them switching over to a woman. It's like, oh, a God, no. got that. It's like this is, come on, motherfuckers, this is science fiction. Give me a well, break. That was, that was, that was um, so hysterical because they, I'll, I'll never forget, they did this, they did these, they asked all the still living doctors what they thought of them casting a woman, and all of them said the same thing. It was like, fucking about time, you know? <laughs> Yeah, who cares? I mean, it's, it's like, like, why it's not? like, of course, you know. I am more concerned with the fact that I like the feeling that I got. Then it doesn't have to be ripoffs or repeats, but a little bit more of like what you and I were talking about. We want the cliffhanger endings. We want three and four episodes for a story, that kind of thing, and throw in a little quater massishness every once in a while to keep the old men happy. So, but we are talking about the episode Inferno. Inferno is so wild because it's a it's a it's like you it's almost like somebody was making an episode and then all of a sudden there was a transporter accident (laughs) and another episode got jammed in the center it's almost like an oreo cookie there's like the the brown thing on one side the brown thing other and then there's the white center which is or or in this case the or in this case the green the green center the green center now i have a rule while we do this episode. Okay. I'm not going to call them primords or whatever because I've got my own name. Oh, okay. For the monsters in this episode. And damn it, I want it to stick. I want it to go out throughout the world. <laughs> oh, no. I want it to spread across the nation <laughs> it, and go to the other continents. Let it be known. Those, the green monster, hairy monsters that come up after they touch that green slime are called the lava werewolves. Damn it. <laughs> Jesus That's Christ. what I call them. The the lava werewolves. I don't like the primords or whatever. I mean, I was like, that's what I've always called them. I didn't think anybody had a name for them. So I said, ooh, those lava werewolves are cool. And then somebody said in one of the documentaries they were called the primords or the Yeah, they're never, they're never referred to that on screen. So you making up your own name for them, that's fine. Because they never really give them a name in the episode. So, Right. Now, I will say this. I was at a fun little convention. I don't know if they're going to be doing them anymore, but it was fun. Uh, uh, Alan Seiler, a buddy of mine up in Atlanta, ran them. They were called originally. They were Stargate and Doctor Who conventions called Timegate. Uh, it was for both shows, uh, and then later they changed it to Who Lanta. But uh, one year, uh, I'm up there in the darn uh, you know, what, what do you call the room where you get the food and the drinks the and all, what do you call like a Thank you, sir. The con suite. And who's in there but Terrence Dix. Ooh, yeah. And I got to talk to him. I was enamored with him. I was enamored with him for multiple reasons. Uh, first off, his work on Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. I, you know, He had worked on Space 1999 and everything. Oh, and by the way, 
uh, the two guys in the fight that I told you my brother and I were watching, the Daemons, that was, uh, one of them was um, uh, oh, Sergeant Benton, right? Yeah. And I was on a panel with him a few years ago about UFO, actually about five, six years ago, about UFO. You know what he said to me? And I'm a completely non-professional, whatever. He goes, I must say, I want to tell you, you have a beautiful speaking voice. And I was like, and I just said, man, hearing that from a Brit. <laughs> well, hearing that from someone who's a professional actor, too, yes. Yeah, a professional actor and stuff. And some of the stuff he's done, friends with Ringo, had one of Ringo's coats, was standing down there working in a, a clothing store uh, and stuff when the Beatles were up on the roof doing the Let It Be album. He was actually standing down there in the street. Huh. Yeah. That fa- that famous video of them up there on the roof. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where they recorded. They recorded the wow. album that way. So uh, anyway, uh, so I'm talking with Terrence Dix, and we brought I brought up Inferno, like, almost right away. I said, oh, my God, I love Inferno. He goes, oh, man. He goes, that really, that episode, we didn't know what to do with it or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like Casablanca, dude. It's like it was a happy accident. You guys were just kind of like, like an ebb and flow and, and stream of consciousness with the episode, but it worked. Yeah. I want to tell you, there's a lot of people that feel that it worked. And I think I'm sure other people had told him that and all that kind of stuff, but I liked his reaction. He, he, he got it. It was like, don't, don't think too badly about, uh, 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 about the episode because there's a lot of people that love it. And I love it tremendously. And I think it made him feel good. You know? Well, I think the, when you've done work that survives, Decades when people are still looking back on it, you know, freaking fifty years after you did it, uh, and and are right. admiring it, and are and are, are and are, are going out of their way to compliment you on there. There, you have to know that it did something happened there, uh, some kind of magic occurred, and uh, yeah. When you learn about how the the story got written, about how this seven episode arc got written in the first place, you do realize exactly why the people making it might have thought, "Man, this thing is probably not going to come together at all." Because they, had, I mean, they had a right. lot of problems. I mean, that they they even at the script stage. I mean, they had uh, they didn't have seven episodes worth, and that's why you end up with, you know, your lima green monsters. Uh, or I'm sorry, not not what not lima green, not not lima bean. <laughs> Your green werewolves. What were they? Oh, lava lima bean werewolves. I'm going to climb <laughs> through this microphone and kill you. Uh, the lava werewolves. I mean, you keep on thinking but about see, how see, hot that's, they that's, are. Everything was about that's how, that's how you winded up. That's how we wound up with those in the story because originally they weren't there. The the whole story would have yeah. existed without that element within it, but essentially Terrence mm-hmm. Dix and the other the, the some of the other writers they realized that they needed something you know something pushing the story forward something that added suspense, and you know more so than the problems that that occur once they screw up and pop the crust. Uh, so both both the Ooh, that sounds <laughs> yeah doesn't it though so, <laughs> it so, does sounds like you've sick. done something wrong to a pizza but uh, the yeah. <laughs> the idea that uh, they put that in there because they needed something of that type and then also I think before that they even I can't remember which, which order it was in the whole idea of the alternate Earth the the uh, the uh, fascistic Britain that the Doctor accidentally slides his way into uh, is is something else that came along after they were putting the whole story together. Because initially yeah. initially it was just based on that, that real Project Mohole thing, which was the, uh, yeah. the attempt to, dr- you know, to drill through the Earth's crust. And the, uh, the idea of you know, turning that into a science fiction affair 
And then they started adding elements to it. And, you know, first you've got, well, th- this will definitely add some interest. Let's slide into a, an alternate an alternate uh, reality where things are a little more dastardly. Also, well, also let's add the, you know, the, the lima bean werewolves. Uh, yeah. And then you've... Lava werewolves, motherfucker. <laughs> Don't you screw that up. Don't you dare. I will see you at Wonderfest next year and put a scalpel in your chest. Um, you know, the thing is, is that is that you can kind of see it. Yeah. If you back yeah. away from the show, you go, you've got an episode that's going to run a normal course. And then they're like, okay, we got to, we're going to zig and say, this is almost kind of like something that's in a, in a weird sort of way, a, a, a distant cousin to the Star Trek episode. Uh, mirror, mirror. The Menagerie. The, no, Menagerie. Oh, I was going to say Mirror Mirror. Well, that's true, too. No, no, that's an interesting point from plot-wise. I mean, I'm talking about in terms of the production. You've got, uh, you know, the the, the the cage was made and they were just sitting there on the shelf with nobody to, you know, really do anything with it. And then they, they, they jammed it into the middle of the Menagerie. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they said, we got this here. Well, they built, they built and, an entire and, episode. They built the two-parter around yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's amazing. One day we might need to talk about a Star Trek episode. But the thing is, is that with this, it's like, okay, we've got a seven-episode obligation here. What are we going to do? Okay, you've got a problem. Doctor, drill in the center of the earth. Shouldn't be doing this. Dude, going too fast. No, no, blah, 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 blah. And, all that kind of, and then all of a sudden they're like, let's put a problem within the problem. Yeah. Let's, there's already a problem. And what does this do? Let me check my notes because I wrote this two weeks ago. <laughs> And here is the thing. This is why you bring me on the show. Oh. And that is that the doctor's situation is like Groundhog Day. Oh, in one yeah, in one respect. He only gets the one shot at it, but yeah, you're right. It's Groundhog Day, yes, it's one time, but he gets to see what it's like when things go bad. So when he comes back, realizes he's had he gets maybe an extra couple of days or maybe even a couple hours. I don't even remember what it gets down to. I'm sure they get it down to a few hours. So it's intense. He's already seen the result. He's not playing around anymore. He's already been given, you know, his marching orders by this weird quirk. I mean, but basically you lost it, lost another planet. um, It's sort of like, and I, I did like the fact that they said infinite, so, like, that there was a whole bunch of other ones. We, he just saw one. It wasn't like there was two. Some science fiction shows, like, I don't know what Mirror Mirror's attitude was. I think even they said there was hundreds of possibilities. Like, there was a whole bunch of different Captain Kirks and a whole bunch of different, you know, in this case, a whole bunch of different uh, uh, planets of, with Doctor Who or universes. Well, see, no, that, that's what I like about, that's one of the neater things. Okay, I absolutely love the alternate earth story part of this thing. I love that element because the more time you spend there, the more it it becomes very clear that the only things that are not there are the doctor. Okay. There is no version of the doctor on that earth. In other words, he's, it's almost like he's protected by the TARDIS or something. Think about it. The longer you're with that, that, that version of earth, the more you realize, okay, so the doctor wasn't, you know, he, he hasn't been, you know, this this is, the, the third Doctor is the version of the Doctor who gets marooned on Earth. And he spends, he yeah. spends most of his time trying to get the damn TARDIS to work, you know, around the governors placed on it by the Time Lords that keep him there. And 
Uh-huh. In that timeline, in this alternate Earth, where the where Britain is uh, fascist, where you know the wrong people won the wrong wars, and uh, England went down the totalitarian road, there's no Time Lord who visits because this planet is not a place that he would visit. This is not a place a Time Lord would would come to, except to fix problems that are already he's already too late to fix in this timeline, and right. so. They have. They've never seen anything like him. This is. This is a. This is a version of a totalitarian Britain that the Doctor would never visit. This is not a place he would okay. come to, and so he's the. He's the. He's the thing that is the. Is the odd. He's always the odd man out in this. In the entire. In this entire. You know, run of the John Pertwee stuff. He's always that guy who. You know, he's. He doesn't really want to be there, you know. He's kind of he's forced to be there when he gets involved. He commits himself, but to be honest, he's kind of fighting it all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's the the amazing thing is that he gets to this alternate timeline and he can't he can't fix the problem there. He can only escape it. And I think that that's mm-hmm. one of the most horrifying things about the story is that yeah, you're right. That planet goes up. It's done. It's gone. He could not save it. Right. And that's one of the darker aspects of the story that I think they were smart to not like, you know, double underline so that you don't spend a lot of time thinking of thinking about the the abject failure that that was because he could not convince anybody. He could not get anybody to listen to him. He could not get anybody to go along with the obvious things that he was pointing out which has got to be just a, a version of hell for that character. Uh, right. he, he's always been able to find a way to get people to back away from the abyss because he can convince them. He can show them the reality of what he's saying. And what's really horrible is that the way this story is written, it's only because he loses in that version of reality that he's able to succeed in this one, in the one he gets back to, into, you know, I don't know, Doctor Who Prime, the, the real Earth, whatever you want to call it. And it's only because of the failure that he's able to push through and make sure that it doesn't happen again. Uh-huh. And uh, that's, like I say, that's a little bit of a dark thread that's that goes throughout the story. That I, if they had teased it out, it could be even more of a horror, even more of a horror story than it already is. Because the darkest element of this is the only reason he succeeded is because he lost an entire planet. Okay. Will you kindly tell me what? A- is this the man? What on earth are you doing in that getup? Keep quiet. You will find it unwise to be insolent. How did you get inside this establishment? I beg your pardon. How did you get in here? Look, your name is Lethbridge Stewart. Yes. Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. Brigade leader. All right, brigade leader. Have it your own way. And you are Elizabeth Shaw. How did you know my name? You've been spying on this establishment. What are you talking about? Your name! My name? You asked me my name after all the years that you and I... Well, now, wait a minute. Yes, I think I'm beginning to see what's happened here. Um, might I suggest you just call me Doctor? Doctor? Doctor what? Smith. Dr. John Smith. Smith. Yes, of course. And where do you come from, Dr. Smith? Yes, well, this is where we come to the difficult bit. Well? Uh, I come from a parallel space-time continuum. 
Obviously, he is trying to confuse us, leader. Well, let me put it this way. Um, I've been transported from another world. Uh, one that is running almost parallel to this one. He's unbalanced. No, I see what he's trying to do. He's trying to make us believe that he's mad. But it won't work, my friend. No, no, no. As a, as this is seven episodes long, one of the one of the more interesting things about this is the thread that the doctor is playing at the beginning of the show, which is essentially he is kind of ripped a part of the TARDIS loose, the the main kind of drive, the 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 control panel, and has brought it, had it brought by unit, by by unit, to this location where they have a nuclear reactor because he plans to use some of their some of the power there. Uh, to see if he can, you know, jumpstart this thing and get himself off of Earth, because you know he's he's not really thrilled of being trapped here, and he's been he's been trapped here almost a year, and it's driving him insane. Right. I mean, he likes humans, but it's you know, I mean, you know, love you, love you, but I got to go do something. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But occasionally, you know, you you got to go get some strange. That's just the way it is. Sure. So. <laughs> so. But let's go the, back to the original uh, attitude about the the show. The show starts off with the drilling. I mean, did we we kind of cover that per se? I mean, it basically. Well, yeah, well, it's the, a, let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about this. The the doctor and the unit and, and unit are called in to investigate a murder at Project Inferno. Uh, it's an effort to drill through the Earth's crust to harness uh, what will hope to, what hopes they hope will be kind of a, a, a cheap permanent type of uh, energy source by tapping into the Earth's core. Right. The, the drilling is producing some problems along the way, um, not the least of which is a green ooze that, uh, as, we, as we learn, and they learn slowly, as we, you know, much slower than we do, <laughs> but right. it, anybody who touches this green ooze transforms into kind of a savage humanoid creature. Uh, what did you call them? Lava werewolves. Lava werewolves, uh, which is which is an odd way to go about it. Copy, okay, copyright Mark Maddox, uh, 2020, <laughs> 2020, blah 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 blah. blah. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, well, it seems that the only thing that bothers these, uh, and we we learn this as the episode goes along, the only thing that seems to bother these these green werewolves is uh, extreme cold. Now, the the project leader, a guy named Professor Stallman, is what would happen if you put. Professor Quatermass through the asshole machine. Uh, That's a hell of a machine. He, he is a complete arrogant dick. And he basically has got tunnel vision and has absolutely no... He, he, he's, he's such a dick that his only goal is to complete this, to penetrate the core, to prove his own theory, and to make this thing... The, the great success that he's promised the, the British government that it will be. But what that means is he tends to ignore every warning sign and every every warning light or buzzer that goes off to the point where he actually, at a point in the story, sabotages the, 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 the computer that is helping to run simulations to help them figure out problems. He sabotages it so that he can just keep doing what he wants to do. Right, right. Now, you were mentioning earlier about... Uh, the the uh, the performances in this, and I got to say, the guy who plays Professor 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 Stallman, uh, Olaf Pooley, yeah, uh, is a guy I've seen in a lot of different things over the years, and he's very good in this. But he is exactly the kind of character that you just want to reach into the screen and punch dead in the face. He's like, um, he is really damn good. I I, I don't yeah. know how I, I got the feeling the actor 
wasn't hellaciously enamored with playing the character. Not not that he wasn't. I, I don't even know. Oops. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't have even said that. I got the feeling that I know for a fact he didn't like really being in the werewolf makeup, but that this was well, a little yeah. bit different for him. Uh, and uh, you have to learn to say it right, Rodney. You have to say it the way John Pertwee would say it. Professor Stallman. You have to get that <laughs> lisp in there. Professor Stallman. So, um, yes. but Olaf Pooley, which is such a, a, a unique name, uh, is good. We've got uh, we've got some really damn good actors yep. in this episode. Uh, Christopher Benjamin plays uh, Sir Keith Gold. He's a, kind of a bulbous nose guy. He's like even in that like uh, 2016 version of Tarzan that came out. But uh, one of the people I really like in this is Derek Newark, who plays Greg Sutton. Yeah. He's in a, one of my all-time favorite Sean Connery films, The Offense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he plays uh, one, of, one of the other police officers in there. Uh, there's uh, Sheila Dunn, who was actually related to, or <laughs> related to, married to the director, who sometime during it, I don't know if he had a, a heart attack or something happened, he ended up in the hospital. Yeah, the, the credited credit director, who, um, darn, what was his name? Um, uh, well, we know Don Houghton wrote oh, it. Uh, Douglas, Cam- uh, Douglas Camfield was the director, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he and- had a heart attack after complete. he completed all of the, uh, the location work and it and had right. completed the uh, first two episodes, all of the uh, the uh, the stuff in the studio, and he had a he had a minor heart attack, and so Barry Letts, the producer, had to finish directing all of the uh, all of the interiors from his notes. Right. Yeah. So you got Sheila Dunn uh, playing uh, Petra Williams. That's his. That's his wife. Uh, and there's kind of a, a things that you know. Of course, immediately you know she is a professional. This is one of the things from television from that time period, is that is that uh, uh, Derek Newark, who plays Greg Sutton, is sort of like, hey, uh, you know, uh, why don't you show me around the place and blah blah blah. And she's totally professional. I mean, stuff that you know, uh, professional women at the time were dealing with, and it seems like. Who the hell knows when women won't have to deal with this? Hopefully, guys don't act like this. You know, two centuries from now or, or two years from now. Wow. But you've got this sort of a thing where she really does like him, but he's sort of uh, pushy. The, the well, not character only that, is. She hasn't got time for this shit right now. <laughs> yeah, she ain't got time for this shit. She she does a damn good job. Uh, Sheila Dunn does a damn good job. Derek Newark does, and you can see eventually. There is a thing where, yeah, okay, I do like you because he backs off immediately, which is men in this world. When a woman doesn't like your advances, back the fuck off. Yep. Okay? So he does, and she ends up kind of liking him. You know, uh, Once again, we've got John Pertwee is fantastic. Oh, he's great. I he's mean, fantastic, yes. Now, uh, Nicholas Courtney uh, 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 as Brigadier. God, I love that guy. I've always, the first time I ever saw him in a Doctor Who episode, I mean, I liked him instantaneously. And I said, this is too good to be true, this character, because he's going to do something by the end of the show that makes me, you know, oh, Jesus, you know, and it didn't happen. It isn't like some of the junk, you know, American television we were getting at the time where it looked good, but then you saw it and you're like, nah, no good. Um, But here's the thing. One of my all-time favorite companions is Liz Shaw. Uh, played by Caroline John. And I think that to me, while in the end they opted for other uh, companions who I also liked, like Joe Grant 
and uh, Sarah Jane Smith, uh, more of the they're on they're being attacked or they're in trouble. They're tied to the railroad tracks kind of thing. Liz Shaw was not that. And I found out, you know, and they talked about this, that they didn't really know what to do with her. So she kind of pleasantly got let go from the show or unpleasantly got let go from the show because she wasn't a victim so much. She was actually almost an equal to the doctor. Yeah. In sometimes, terms of, she, sometimes she was ahead of him. She knew more, more about certain subjects than he did. And I loved it. And I didn't find this out till later because I mean, I was disappointed when I didn't see her anymore in the show. And then years later you find out why. And it's a little bit, I think John Pertwee pushed that a little bit and it's like a little bit like, okay, John, you're not a perfect human being, but I liked her. Yeah. I think that, that I'm not, you know, uh, I, I, it, I, I, let's also, let's also say that, uh, let's also say by the way, that, uh, at the same time, uh, she was, when they were filming this, she was pregnant. So she, really kind of had the thought that she might want to take 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 off from the show in the first place because she wanted to be with her child so yes but that wasn't the way that that it happened yeah. they didn't know that she was pregnant they walked in and said we need we need more of a victim woman yeah uh we need somebody who is going to be um you know screaming for help and and tied up well, and she, all that kind it's of it's somebody they, they primarily want one of the companions to be someone that the doctor has to explain things to because they're the they're the audience in that respect and that by explaining it to this companion she's explain you know he's explaining it to the audience yeah, but you know, I mean, the show was going along fine. Did, well, I you know, agree. I, really... I, I'm unhappy about it as well because I think Liz Shaw is a hell of a character. No, but what I'm saying is, is that there were so many episodes with her where that wasn't necessary. Why all of a sudden is it necessary? I like I said, I like the companions. You know, uh, after after her too, yeah. but I really like this woman. I mean, I, I maybe it speaks to my character that I'm like I'm cool with the with the woman that can you know. Uh, that, that is at the same level or maybe even ahead of guys at some instances. This is Sigourney Weaver kind of thing. Um, I like that. Um, she did a damn good job. She was a great companion. Um, and but, but, you know, basically, so we've got Pertwee, Carolyn John, Nicholas Courtney. We've got in, you know, new to the show for, the, for this uh, arc, Olaf Pooley. Uh, we've got Sir Keith, uh, Christopher Benjamin, Greg Sutton, Petra Williams, and we get to John Levine, who I said uh, told the planet that I have a great speaking voice, <laughs> and uh, and just a good supporting cast. Now, one of the things about this, and I'm going to do like a super fast overview of this show because okay, we are we are gobbling up time. They're at this drilling uh, thing where they're trying to make uh, energy for Britain. Uh, it could be dangerous. It's technically actually based on uh, the writer Don Houghton of Dracula AD 1972 fame yeah. and some other Hammer stuff who wrote the story. Uh, calling up uh, the U.S. Embassy and saying, hey, you guys had to stop your drilling uh, at, uh, uh, you know, down to the center of the earth or whatever. And, and somebody you know, called it back and said, that's classified. So it's like, ooh, so now we can make up what we want. Which is basically lava werewolves. So <laughs> yes, exactly. So you've got that you're drilling, and it's like the doctor's worried. He thinks uh, Olaf is an idiot. He says so many times, and as it right at the very beginning, or not too far into it, they're drilling down, and this green crap gets on one of these technicians. Now he immediately starts to mutate as he when he leaves 
uh, the main complex and starts to become this feral type of acting green-faced sort of creature. Uh, kills a few people. There's a lot of that kind of running around uh, the action stuff. By the way, Havoc, having done the uh, stunt work and everything on the show back when they were really prominent in the show, is is pretty damn good. Some of it was kind of groundbreaking. And this kind of go, this you've already got a problem. The doctor is trying to use the energy from what these guys are doing to power his TARDIS so he can get the hell out of town. He wants to leave. So he's got his little TARDIS set up in the shed um, uh, with Bessie parked in there and all that kind of stuff. And and in the middle of this, at some point in time, somebody throws a lever, cuts off the, the power to him when he's right, right in the middle of operating the TARDIS, and he gets caught in this alternate reality. Basically this this uh, fascist uh, version of Britain uh, Liz Shaw all of a sudden for some reason looks like Rachel Maddow an evil Rachel Maddow and uh, and thigh high boots well okay yeah, they're not thigh thigh, they're, they're not thigh high but, but yeah because because Rachel Maddow would never be this person but she but 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 uh, uh, Carolyn John in a black wig looks like Rachel Maddow so then there's well, tell me something, um, tell me something. Did, did you find her uh, did you find her sexy with the black hair I, I thought she was an attractive. I mean, she's you know, I mean, uh, she's an attractive woman anyway. I mean, I you know, I liked her. Yeah, the the, the black hair was kind of cool. It's fun to watch these actors playing these alternate versions of themselves. It's kind of great. Well, I know that she said she had a good time doing it, and and Lethbridge Stewart, who deserves the the uh, you know William Shatner Award for chewing the scenery, <laughs> which yeah, he definitely is, does. Corporal Benton. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that screaming and stuff in the show. She is 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 bad a baddie, but with a little bit of edge of wondering why why things have to be this way. And then there's Brigadier, who is now an evil version in this other universe with an eye patch, and there's obviously it looks like there's a wound running down the side of his face that goes into the eye. Yeah, hideous and then scar. Comes out yeah. The bottom. yeah, it's like he got uh, you know uh, got got upped in a in a sword fight, yeah, or some kind of a duel or whatever, and he, now he's got this you know eye patch, but with a it's it's a little bit similar to the Nick Fury sort of thing, but I do know for a fact that uh, Nicholas Courtney loved playing this evil version of the Brigadier. He got to play, uh, you know, uh, somebody else basically. And and I've always heard this about actors when they get to be in a show, but they get to play somebody else. I'm sure everybody loved uh, in the Star Trek episode Mirror Mirror the fact that they got to play oh, yeah. themselves, but not themselves. I mean, it, it's fun. It, you know, you get to stretch your, you get to stretch your uh, limbs a bit. So did you hear about the, anyway. uh, did you hear about the joke that they played, they played on, uh, on Nicholas Courtney in the scene where he, uh, he's first revealed that when he turns around in the chair with the eye patch on, um, when they were, I don't know. when they were, Tell when me. they were shooting it, um, they get they get they, everything got set up and uh, all the other actors when when he when he swung around and it's the first time you see him with the with the uh, the eye patch, all the other actors had put on eye patches just to fuck with him. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. And, yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly the kind of thing actors would do just to keep just to just to break the tension, you know. And you know what's funny now is nowadays there would be no problem for 50 people with cell phones to catch that, and now it's just a story. I mean, yeah. you wish you could see that. It would be hilarious. I love Nicholas Courtney. I think he is such a such a damn good actor on that show. He really adds another level of class to the show. In this one, he is rotten. He is Mr. Nasty. Liz Shaw is, is a little bit confused because 
you can tell that she is a human being in this alternate reality who really wishes her life had gone a different way. As a matter of fact, the doctor can pick up on it really, really quick. Um, This is... um, Well, you get that from her very... They spend spend some time as she starts asking him questions about, okay, what... If if there's this other world and there's another me, what am I like? And she... And he starts, you know, filling her in on, you know, well, she wasn't, you know, my Liz isn't military. She's a scientist and, and going through all these different things. And she says... You know, well, that was what I intended to do when I was younger. You know, well, that's what he guessed. No, he said you intended to be a scientist, didn't you? And she's like, got this confused look on his face. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And the thing is, is okay. So you're in the same situation, sans the doctor, although he's been dropped into it now, and that they've got uh, the drilling situation uh, now. Um, uh, Olaf Puli, Professor Stallman, Professor Stallman has now. <laughs> Now joined the Beatles, uh, but they bleached his clothes, and he's got the little uh, what do they call that? What do they call those little early suits that the, the Beatles had? It's got a, a oh, I a, can't a, remember. Uh, what do they call it? It's an Indian name. The same ones that they used on UFO. They're really cool looking. I wish they had actually. I wish the future actually had us all wearing those things. <laughs> There's a name for that suit that they wore, but um, uh, so now, but it's like pure white. Him and him and uh, Petra Williams are now both wearing these pure white sort of clothes, uh, and and it's an alter reality. He's he's a little he's even more nasty in this universe and everything. I think he's even you know thinking about taking out uh, because he does not like the fact that Sir Keith is uh, kind of against him. Well, in both what, realities, he thinks in about both reali- taking out doc, uh, taking out. Uh, well, I think I think in the one, I think he's thinking about distracting him. I think in the other one, it might even be to the point where he's thinking about bumping him off. But um, it, it, it's interesting because what we see in this is it didn't work. Things went the worst. The the, the center of the earth got drilled to. Uh, the 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 forces of nature got released, and uh, you know you've got the scene where all these fascists have got this big wad of lava coming in through the doors of the, of the doctor's, uh, you know, uh, shed where his TARDIS would be. I mean, this lava's coming in where he's desperately but, trying to get the thing powered up so he can, he can at least try to get the hell out. Well, but there's an interesting thing too. There's a bit of self-sacrifice from some of these people, even in this fascist universe is that he says, well, I can't save your planet. You guys are screwed. What I can do is save my planet with people that are just like you. Now, let's say Rodney and Mark are standing there. <laughs> and somebody comes up and goes, Heaven, no, heaven I, forbid. I mean, we're knuckle walking, we're drooling. They come up to us and go, You know what? You're going to die like in five minutes. But if, if you allow, you help me, I will be able to save in an alternate reality you two guys in this alternate reality would we help i think some people would i think just the idea that somehow you would continue on even if it isn't you you this one right here it's an interesting concept and at first i remember when i first heard it i'd be like hell no i'd be running up and down the street with no clothes (laughs) on going you know but 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 really to know that not only am I going to die, but the alternate reality, Mark Maddox is going to die. Would I help? Him? I, th- I think I would. It's like, what the hell? What have I got to lose? I'm going to die anyway. And so the thoughtful people are doing that. 
but Nicholas Courtney. Oh, he goes completely craven lunatic. Yeah, Captain Fascist is is uh, it, it, you know it's just all thinking about what he can do to force the Doctor to take him back to the to the other reality. And of course, you know that's that old paradox thing. Can you do it? And and, and the doctor's like, I, I can't take you back there. You'd be destroyed immediately. You know, kind of thing. Uh, um, Which, you know, and, and, and of course, I wish they kind of teased out at least in a, in a line of dialogue or something, the idea that the only reason I'm able to be here is because I don't exist in this reality. Right. And and uh, the thing is. Uh, you know, but some of the people do help. I mean, yeah. the the Greg, the Greg Sutton from that world, the Petra Williams, uh, and and Carol and John, uh, Liz Shaw, they they all start you know pulling in. But but the Brigadier's got you know got his own. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll pretend like I'm going along with the spit in the end. I'm going to pull a, pull the gun on the doctor and make him take me. Um, I mean, he's a weasel, and he gets his butt kicked by Greg Sutton, and well, and, you know, he, get, and he gets gunned down by Liz Shaw too. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Let's go back earlier. Let's go back to when Sergeant Benton or whatever he was in that alternate reality. Um, this is one of my favorite single moments in this episode, where the Doctor is held at gunpoint by Benton, and he goes. And the doctor goes, hey, come over here for a second. And he goes, have you ever seen this? And he holds two fingers up and plants them in his chest. And he goes, like that. I think that is absolutely brilliant. That's Oh, yeah, that the, the, Venusian, the Venusian karate or whatever he calls Venusian it. The Venusian karate, which they invented for that episode. And it, and it, and it continued on later. But yeah. I think that was their way of getting around not being the Vulcan nerve pinch, but still coming up with something really cool. Because I, I don't know what's better. The way John Pertwee drives the fingers into his chest, or the way John Levine screams, because it's it's brilliant. Oh yeah, anyway. it really it really looks as if he just tagged some some nerve endings and just, just freaked him out. Because there's this, I, I've backed it up a couple of times, and it's almost like his right arm twitches. Yeah, as he as he's as he's falling backwards, and it's like holy crap, that looks great. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so anyway. We've got these people that are willing to help because they're seeing the destruction of their planet and they know that somewhere in this other universe, this alternate universe, that they will survive. Well, here, here I have a, let's talk a minute about this whole alternate universe. The Doctor refers to it as having been transported sideways in time to a parallel world. Right. Here's the thing. I absolutely love this conceit in science fiction. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, you know, like I say, this is this. We, we're all pointing to Mirror Mirror as the obvious antecedent to this, and that's that's all well and good. But at the same time, it's it's kind of a standard trope within science fiction. It's and of course it's been done a bazillion times ever since then. But one of the weird things to me is that this is the one and only time they ever play with this idea in Doctor Who, and. I got to thinking about it over the past couple of days. Like, why would they never have played with this again? Because all it takes is some kind of bizarre accident, which is kind of a standard thing in any Doctor Who story involving some screw up with the TARDIS, and and do the do this kind of thing again. And then I began to realize that they kind of do, but they what it is is I think there was maybe a decision at some point that if we start including alternate Earths along with traveling, you know, millions of years in every direction in time onto any planet that we want. We're going to start to kind of lose some kind of grounding in the kinds of stories that we want to tell. And we're going to maybe trap ourselves in some... I, I, this is just me surmising. Maybe trap themselves in a, a weird loop where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be fun now that we have this cast set up 
to you know to to have them play alternate versions of themselves and and it would it'd be a blast but i i think it's weird that they never pulled the trigger on the alternate timeline ever again it's really strange well i think that sometimes too i get a little tired now with some science fiction shows pulling the alternate timeline. It gets to a point now where it's almost like, hey, where are we going, McDonald's? No, we're going to the alternate timeline. You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> it, it, <laughs> you know I'll grant I mean? you, it's, it, become, it, it's become an overused thing. This is for sure, yeah. I think in the end, I think that while Doctor Who did do it, I, like, I, I guess you're right. I guess this was really pretty much the only time they did it. Yeah, they, yeah, had, they never did it again. Oh, because I, I really do think... If I'm correct, Mirror Mirror might have been the ground zero for this kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying in science fiction, right? For television, yeah. On for television, television, I think which, so. Which where all the idiots go, like me. <laughs> I go watch the tube. So I watch the tube and I see Spock with a beard. And I'm like, oh my God, now I got to go write my own alternate thing. So Doctor Who does it. Lost in Space did it. There were some other shows that did it. They always like, oh, the evil, the evil version or the duplicates or whatever. Right. But maybe that's okay that some people didn't. Now, now, there has been some newer Star Treks that have started doing that more frequently. I know that uh, Enterprise did it a bit, and it wasn't. I didn't think it was that good. I, I think it was like, okay. And I know that Discovery, it's a main plot in some ways with some of the episodes of the show. And I'm like, okay, it's it's like some people I know, I'm just telling you, some people I know with Star Trek and stuff like that, they're really, really, really getting sick of the time travel episodes. It's like it's become so easy now that there's so many other things that good writers could explore, but it's an easy little trick to go, let's let's have the fun thing where we go to the alternate reality or, or travel in time or this, that, or the other. And it's like there's still a bunch of other stuff you people could explore, you know. I think that Doctor Who did it one time, and and they've had a million other stories that are awesome that that work, you know. Well, see, that's one of the things I like about Doctor Who is there's this, which is ironic because it's a time travel show, right? And that and that's what I like about it is that 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 is what it is. It's a time travel show, right? But it's also uh, you have the entire universe in front of you. Yeah, you have all these alien worlds, alien cultures, uh, places that you can go, things you can see, which is one of the frustrations I've had with the newest ver- the newest incarnation of Doctor Who, which is I am fucking tired of every third show and sometimes every other show taking place in oh downtown modern London. I'll be a son of a bitch. Right. And it's like, can we go somewhere else, please? Any, as a matter of fact, could we go anywhere else, please? Yeah, that's budget thing. You know, you have yeah, and, and, and yeah, exactly. And that's one of the weird things to my mind is that people who basically, you know, who are modern modern Doctor Who fans who say, well, I, I can't watch the old Doctor Who because it's just so low budget. And I'm like, yeah, well, I got news for you. The new Doctor Who is low budget, too. You're just not seeing where the low budget is coming into play. Yeah. Are we in London? Are we in London again? Oh, I'll be a son of a bitch. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can't stand fucking people that bitch about something that had a decent budget for its time period that go it's too low budget it's like put the goddamn goggles on the oh this is 1972 filter television but don't give me this you know old doctor who is is too tinny it's like you're not looking at it the right way 
in a lot of ways it's more exciting than modern Doctor Who. I mean, there's agreed. I you know I get I get fed up with people that oh my god you know the, the, I mean you know somebody oh Forbidden Planet look at that old retro stuff and everything like that oh my god it looks so cheap you grab a fucking axe and start killing some people <laughs> I don't want to hear that shit I'll never you know oh George Powell's War of the Worlds oh my god it looks so cheap in comparison with Star Wars you die. I don't which, want which version? Which version of Star Wars? Star Wars seventy seven, the remastered version, the pl- the plastic uh, prequels, or the more recent films? Please, you know, please define your terms for what well, you find acceptable that, and not. You know, that's what that's what I want to do to these people. Is that you know, yeah. define your terms? I mean, to me, it 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 really is. I mean, that's one of the things. And and God knows, people roll their eyes. I probably talk about my children so much. But my <laughs> kids were raised on every kind of film. Like right out of the gate, it's like, come here, you little lab rats. Get yeah, over but it. that's the difference between being raised by someone who's a who, who's a fan of this kind of stuff, who's a fan of cinema, period, as opposed to someone who's just raised by you know. Un, uh, I hate to put it this way because neither of us fit this category, but instead of people who are just raised by normal folk and just whatever's on the television is what they see. Well, you know? I mean, to me, it's like my kids. Um, they. They know a whole hell of a lot. They've seen a lot of Universal monster movies. They they do like some of the new movies. They love the the Marvel movies. I mean, yeah. they, they do. I mean, they 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 go to see them. Matter of fact, I was pissed because the last giant Marvel movie they went and saw in Athens, and they didn't watch it with me. <laughs> and but but the thing <laughs> is, is that is that we're here, and I'm showing them uh, movies like M. The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, uh, Tommy. Uh, I, mean, I mean, we're all over the map. We're watching The Newest. We're watching The Natural with Robert Redford. We're watching, uh, I mean, the kids have watched that. They've watched Nosferatu. I mean, all over the place. Have you watched The Umbrella Academy? Yeah, I lo- I've only seen the first season, but loved it, yeah. Okay, I'm like three or four episodes in. She had seen it already. She's re-watching it because the new season's going to drop at the end of July. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty damn good. I'm liking the Umbrella Academy. I mean, it's it's good. It, 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 it is uh, catching me off guard. There's there's stuff in the plot that's like, oh, that went that way instead of the some other normal way that I was expecting. But uh, now, uh, honestly, it's what what strikes me about the Umbrella Academy is that kind of in a strange way, it's as if someone rewrote the Doom Patrol. Mm. That's exactly what I said to Linda. I said, I said, oh, okay, yeah. This um, is like a, a cleaner, less a uh, uh, little less rabid version of Doom Patrol, which I also really like. We're halfway. Th- we're halfway through that first season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I like Doom Patrol. I need something really weird. I need something. I need something out of left field, and Doom Patrol gives that to me. It makes me feel good. I love seeing the cast. I love Timothy Dal- seeing Timothy Dalton again. Uh, yeah. Uh, who's such a goddamn good actor? Uh, he's so fr- he's so freaking yeah. good. It's it's always such a joy to see him pop. And this is like but the- but. but uh, but to get back to uh, to, no, to Doctor no. before we before we before we, before we run out right, of time. Okay. Well, we can just chop this out. This is me. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will. But hang on a second. I wanted to say um, earlier you brought up uh, the scriptwriter Don Houghton, and uh, I'm I got to say uh, I'm kind of a I, I have to say when I looked him up, I'm more of a fan of this guy than I thought I was going to be because yeah. I, he he wrote he wrote this and he wrote Mind of Evil, 
which is another uh, Pertwee story, I think. But uh, I can't. It's I can't remember if I've ever. Yeah, it's a per, it's another Pertwee story from the for the for the next season. And I have to admit, uh, I don't know that I ever got to see it. Oh my God, you creep! Well, uh, I mean, no, I don't no, think no. it's been. I don't think it's did, been easy did, to see. I did artwork for it for Doctor Who magazine. Let me let me send it to you here. Um, what I did is um, uh, Mind of Evil. Uh, is the one in the prison where they're they're doing the mind is what is it mind experiments? Or yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've gotten to see. Oh my god! The, well, here's the weird, see. Here's, here's the, the thing. thing. It was uh, they 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 finally in 2013 apparently got a they hand colorized. They only had a black and white version yes. of it, and so they had to they had to colorize the thing. Yes. It's it's a six episode story, which I mean I hate to say it, but the longer stories are what I'm just immediately drawn to. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's already bad. calling my name. You're gonna so, get yeah. immersed. You're gonna get immersed. That's what you're looking for. Now here's the thing about Mind of Evil, is that is that um, they how do I put this? This is this is uh, some description somebody gave me. The 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 episode unfortunately all they had was a black and white version. But I, I heard something like there was, and, and, and somebody's probably laughing their ass off, rolling around on the floor because Mark doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But that there was a code left in the black and white that gave them information to where they yeah, color. They call it the chroma chroma dot color recovery is what is the technique they use. Chroma dot color recovery. Well, they were able to use that to, to recolor. Right, everything. but 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 what I saw of it was that, I mean, and I, it's been a while. I mean, I literally dealt with this about four years ago, maybe five years ago. What I dealt with, or what I saw, I thought, I thought I didn't know it. I mean, I saw, I saw the color episode, and I'm like, oh, okay, good. Oh, they found the color episode. I watched it all the way. Never for a moment did I think it was colorized. So it's almost like, it's almost like it's the best form of colorization I've ever seen. You know, fuck all that Ray Harryhausen colorizing his own movies and all that stuff, or 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 the stuff even before that, where you're like, oh my god, there's like a big t- tan splotch where a person's face is. This looks pretty damn good. But um, I'm going to send you. Let's see. I, somewhere in here, I've got my artwork from the Mind of Evil. Mind of Evil. Mind of Evil that I did for Doctor Who magazine when. They, I don't even know if they had given it the name Mind of Evil yet, but what they did was the original story that I did artwork for was called the it was the uh, it was like a thought process machine. So whatever you thought about became reality. So when I met um, who's the who's the young lady or she, you know at the time she was young uh, who played Joe Grant, um, uh, uh, Katie Manning. Katie Manning. I met her. God, what a sweetheart! What a wonderful woman. And we were uh, talking about, and I gave her a print from this, but there was a scene where she was, uh, we did not know this, but she was terrified of bats. And Ooh. so the machine uh, uh, creates these bats in her, in her, I don't remember if it's in her mind or she is, um, or it's actually happening or in her mind or whatever, but the bats start attacking her. And then the prison gets attacked. The machine creates a Medusa creature from another planet that starts turning prisoners into stone. So I literally invented that monster. But uh, I'm going to find it here real quick. And um, but um, yeah, I was very proud. But I handed, I gave her a copy of the print. But I was very Mind of Evil is a damn good episode. You'll you'll like. Yeah, it's it's 
there there are still a few uh, Pertwee episodes I've not been able to see because I just you know some some of the some of them some of them the DVDs have gone out of print and and they're hard to find and now of course for me I'm just thrilled it looks like they're going to actually kind of they're jumping around in, in some weird perverse order, but they do, they're do they doing these season sets now on Blu-ray, and it's like really great to be able to pick them up that way. Well, let me ask you something. I'm dying to know this. Uh, number one, what, what, what size is your television set? Um, roughly, roughly. 50 inches, something like that. Okay. Um, I was thinking about buying like the Tom Baker and the John Pertwee ones, but here's the question. That is PAL system videotape, which is probably a little bit better than United States, whatever the hell we have for videotape at that time period. The question is, did, did, did they make the picture look better? Is there some interpolation? In most cases, in most cases, it does look better. Okay. Um, it does look better. They have they have worked on them and 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 you know upgraded them to some degree, done some remastering. Like I said, for years, we just figured they would never bother to put them out on, on Blu-ray. Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, the only one that I thought they were ever going to put out, out on Blu-ray is uh, Spearhead from Space. Right, which right, is, which is on the first film. Because, yeah, because it was all shot on 16mm because it's almost entirely shot on location. Yes. But... I think they I think they saw the the writing on the wall that they could, you know, if they did them in these season sets, it was a chance well, first of all, it's a chance to sell the damn things again, of course. But at the same time, they they do look a little bit better. They're able to include, you know, like literally every extra they've ever had on anything ever before and then add even more to it. And uh, by doing them as season sets, it allows them to have even, you know, even more interesting extras where they're kind of looking at, you know, an entire uh, what they called a series at the time. They didn't call them seasons the way we hear, do here in the States. And it's really nice to be able to see them because that's the way they produced them. Right. And it's nice to be able to have a big chunk of it where the people who they're interviewing who are still alive talking about these things are, be, are able to talk about you know working on an entire run of it. Right. And that's really that's really great because the, the more of that kind of stuff that you can get, the better as far as I'm concerned. In in some cases, I have to admit it's it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing upgrade. The better the materials they have to work with, the better they look. And uh, in some cases, you know, it's a it's a mild upgrade. It's always it always seems to be an upgrade. It's just a it's just a matter of, you know, episode to episode sometimes. Right. Did it show up? Got something. Hold on, I got something here. All right, this is when it was called the Pandora machine. Now, when you say this is when it was called the Pandora Machine, when was it called the Pandora Machine? The first draft. Oh, the first draft of the story? Yes. Okay. And the magazine wanted me to do artwork based on the first draft. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like uh, the... Uh, see the... You got Joe You got Joe being attacked by bats. Yeah. You got this weird Medusa creature. Yeah. That one I was proud of. Uh, as a matter of fact, I did a couple of monsters based just on script stuff. And when... The author of the Tom Baker story. So the episode, uh, there was a uh, Tom Baker was trying to come back after they canceled the Sylvester, the Sylvester McCoy show. And yeah. he was trying to come back. And there was an episode where he fought this colossal monster, the basically death above this university in Britain with a sword. And they ended up having me. Uh, look, read the script. I found the found the uh, pictures of the university. I painted the university. I painted Tom Baker. He now has silver hair, but it's still curly with the big hat, and he's got this glass sword. And he gets into a fight with this monster that has got like basically spider 
ten, uh, spider legs coming out of the midsection. It's translucent and everything like that. And that episode was um, had a huge budget. It was going to be at nighttime, not for kids. And it was going to have special effects by Jim Henson. Uh, it, there's books written about it. It's pretty famous that they fucked it up. But the BBC said, you know, the political side said, no, nope, it's over. When everybody went on vacation, they axed it. But anyway, there's actually pictures of the Cybermen that they were developing for the show. And they had like long, like whip type fingernails and all this kind of stuff that the, you know, they were deadly and there was different things that the Henson group had been working on anyway. So the author of that script that Tom Baker signed off on was ready to film that Jim Henson and them were working on special effects on wrote me and said they Jim Henson never got far enough along to, to, to develop the monster that you developed thank you for letting me see what it might have been. That was the author of the script. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I wrote it back. I said, sir, I am honored. But apparently there's going to be a full-blown book. I mean, I don't even know if it's, it might have even already been published or something, but this was about eh, four years ago when the guy wrote me. But he said it was so nice to see the actual, an, an interpretation of that monster that he had written. So, but I, I mean, you've seen it. It's on my, it's on my table at, at, at the conventions and stuff. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it before. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to get a copy of that print. That's nice. Yeah. I, I mean, God knows I love, I love, uh, Roger Delgado. I'm a buddy of mine today had acquired finally a Roger Delgado, uh, signature. It was like on a check or something like that that he sent me <laughs> today, but it's, it's, it's freaking Roger Delgado. Who's not only got Dr. Who, for us to love, but but Hammer and other things like that too. You know, just life was cut too short. You know what I mean? I mean, it's very true. Yeah, very true. Are we are we actually doing the show, or are we just now you and I chatting? I'm not sure what the we are. So we are still doing the show. Trust no, me. you. Got, I will. I will be editing the living shit out of this one. Yeah, yes. this one's going to be okay. So where are we with our show? Okay, so oh, well, I just, I just, I just, I, th- I think I just wanted to wrap up by uh, wrap up by saying uh, that uh, Don Houghton. You know, besides just you know, mine those two Doctor Who stories, he also did. Uh, he did a string of '70s Hammer films that I think are just phenomenal. Yeah, Dracula AD '72, Satanic Rites of Dracula. Which now, now that there's a Blu-ray of Satanic Rites of Dracula, I have fallen in love with that movie the past couple of years. Ah. Uh, and he did a legend. He wrote the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires as well. Right. It's just one of those guys. You look at you look at the 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 British TV stuff that he wrote as well. It's just like. Wow, this this is one of those kind of un uh, unsung heroes of this stuff that you know just floated along, did some did some solid work. You know, definitely uh, was you know somebody who worked steadily in this field for quite some time. And it's just like wow, nobody nobody's written a you know a, a long a long form article about this guy's work, and it's kind of a shame. I'd like to, I'd lo- I'd love to find an interview with the guy and just get his ideas on what he did, how what his career was like, because. He uh he did he did uh, I know the way that the, they constructed the story for Inferno here was was you know them going back and forth and trying to figure out how to make it fit the length that they wanted and and adding pieces and him trying to find ways to make it work that to me makes me admire what he accomplished with Inferno even more than if he you know came with the idea you know the the normal standard way in which they did these things his was his road to writing inferno was a little more bumpy and therefore i kind of have a bit more respect for his abilities Uh yeah i mean it's uh he was kind of a little powerhouse at that time 
you know i mean we got some we got some really good stuff from him and uh i'm a massive fan of dracula 72 i mean uh it, it's kitschy and everything else too but it's a it's a, I, I don't know i don't know if some, for some reason it's one of my favorite uh hammer dracula movies I, um uh you know uh i mean he, and here he is doing doctor when i when i saw you know, for the 47th time watching Inferno, it said by Don Howard. And I said, <laughs> you know what? Why in the hell is that so familiar? Uh, you know, of course, immediately IMDb to the rescue. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, this guy's like my brother. <laughs> it's like he, he, he was he was definitely writing stuff that I find absolutely fascinating. Yes. Right. And um, I, I think that, uh, you know, in this case, it, it's neat to see him, you know, drop down to, uh, you know, uh, television. But still, in the end, there are so many television shows, when you think about it, that are gone, that people don't talk about anymore. We can talk yeah, about even yeah. even television shows that were popular when we were kids. Like, you know, things that were known that everybody watched and everybody pretty much knew every episode. I know people now that have never seen an episode of Gomer Pyle. I know people that have, you know, I mean, most people have seen an episode or, or many episodes of I Love Lucy, which was monstrously popular when I was a kid. Uh, but but some shows yep. stay on the surface. Star Trek is one of them. Doctor Who is one of them. And you've got, and so when you're looking at Don Houghton and you think, okay, he dropped down to television. Yeah, but he dropped down to Doctor Who. He dropped down to something that there's a... Well, that's just it. He was doing these, he was doing movies and television all at the same time, which is something that I think you could do in England a lot easier than you could in the States. Yeah. Um, I think that in the end, uh, you know, classic is a classic. I mean, we're, we're talking about stuff like how does it alter in, in the popular culture? How does it alter the culture? And Doctor Who has done that. So Don, oh, most so Don Houghton is, is part of that. I mean, it's like... Uh, you know the people that drill down and talk about things and start. And the reason I, I bring up Star Trek is because of all the constant, constant talk about it ever since the '70s. That now has the best books ever on on the show. Or you know, I mean, I, I looked up doc, uh, uh, Star Trek books the other day. I mean, I was just wading through them like, oh, my God. And then there's oh, yeah. the, the books about the history. I mean, when I was a kid, it was Stephen E. Whitfield's making of Star Trek. But now you've got those Mark Cushman books, three books, one for each season of the original show. This isn't even talking about the next generation and Voyager and and Deep Space Nine and Enterprise and the movies and in the animated series. With Doctor Who, there it is. It, it is part of our DNA, even the American DNA now, given the fact that, that we kind of yeah, jumped into yeah. it in the 80s. The Brits are, you know, it really is their DNA. And uh, I think they were lucky. I mean, I, 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 I'm envious of them for, for the children that hid behind the couch in the 1960s when the yeah. Daleks first appeared or the Cybermen or the, or the you know, whatever, you know, the, uh, the Yeti. That, that they got that they got to have that experience. The fact that that was such a that was such a standard thing that it became a, an ongoing standard joke for an entire generation of kids. That you know you you hid behind the couch and watched the Daleks. You know. Yeah, but at the same time you've got got the fact that at that point this is what's so sad with the United States 
is that for them, for many years, the, the earliest seasons of Doctor Who were considered a children's show. Yep. We watched the show as, you know, in the United States, and we're like, oh my God, this is such a great show. And the Brits kind of look at us and go, you know, you do realize this is a, a children's show. I mean, I know eventually they, they bumped it up, but it's sort of like, wow, their children's shows are as cool as our adult shows. Well, yeah, and, and, and what's weird is that I would never have known, at least I, I didn't know until I was well into my 20s, that Doctor Who was considered a kid's show because one of the very first episodes I ever saw, one of the very first stories I ever saw, and I cannot remember which one it is now, but it was a Tom Baker episode I saw on PBS with my entire family on a Saturday night eating popcorn. One of the joke lines in it was this throwaway line about uh, people bitching about taxes. And it's like that's not a kids that's not a kids show line. That's for the adults yeah. in the room, man. That's not something. That's not something an eight year old. Is, it's going to go right by him. He's not. It's not even something that's going to register. And so I never thought of it, you know, because from my my very first watchings of any of it, it was something that obviously was aimed at everybody. Yeah. And I think that by that time, by by the Troughton years, especially, and definitely into the color once it went to color with with John Pertwee. I think they were aiming a little higher. These were people who realized, okay, this show's been on the air for a while. It's a success. And so we, there, there was a certain uh, knowledge that this show was going to continue. And so they could know that this was going to be seen and it could be a calling card. So people were putting their best foot forward and doing their best work, at, you know, trying to put themselves out there as skilled craftsmen, as people who knew how to do what they were being hired to do. Right. And... This show, Inferno, is a perfect example of that. It's like I, I, I don't know what your favorite John Pertwee story would be, and for me, it's probably the demons. Uh, I think that that is well, absolutely brilliant kind of shoot story. Fish in a barrel for me because the demons was the first. By the way, it's the demons, not demons. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You heard what I said. Lima bean, lima bean werewolf. Let's go with it. So, um, <laughs> so, but in the end, it might be the Daemons just because that was the first one I ever saw. So it's like, you know, my favorite, oh, my favorite James yeah, Bond yeah. movie is Thunderball, but that was also the first one I ever saw. You know, first you know what I'm saying? Saw, right. That kind of does it, that does it to you. But um, there's there's a lot of great John Pertwee episodes. There's oh, yeah. a lot of them that are genuinely surprising. There's a few I remember, you know, sitting there and a brand new episode was coming on, well, brand new to us was coming on Georgia Public Television. Uh, I was lucky because I had Florida State University Television and Georgia Public Television were both giving us Doctor Who, so we had it crammed down our throats. But I was watching <laughs> it, and there were some episodes I'm kind of like, eh. Yeah, there, there, there are always going to be a few dead, dead episodes here, but here's the thing. I know, I call If, if someone said to me, yeah. Go ahead. if someone said to me their favorite John Pertwee was Inferno, I would understand completely. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a bunch of them that I love. I mean, I love Planet of the Spiders, which is his last episode. Yeah. It's a very, uh, uh, you know, uh, thoughtful and, and, and interesting and creepy episode, too. The goddamn spiders on people's backs. It's scary as shit. But yeah. um, there's, a, there's a bunch of great episodes. He has a bunch. Troughton has a bunch. Baker's got a bunch. Uh, I think that... Um, uh, there was something so magical about that show at that time period through that stretch where you have to hand it to, you know, okay, somebody did it for a while. Okay, I'm tired. I'm leaving. 
hands it off to somebody else. Okay, I'm doing this for a while. This is good. Okay, starting to lose steam. I'm tired. I'm leaving. Hands it off to somebody else. And it's like they, they kept handing it off to people that were willing to do a few little different things. And, you know, the actors would change and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, the, the changing of the doctor in a way was similar to the uh, – the uh, transporter thing on the on Star Trek. It was a cost-saving device and an ex- explanation device too. At the same time, you know, yeah. we didn't want to end the show, but the, the 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 actor was ready to go. So we they came up with something whack. They regenerated him, and you got to hand it to him. Now it's part of the mythos. I mean, it's like the transporter was. We don't have the budget to keep showing a spaceship on a new planet surface every week. Oh, we'll beam them down. Just let the actors just drop into the scene. It's like, oh, wow, that's, you know. Uh, but now it's part of the mythos. So anyway, with, with this episode, we go to this alternate universe, and basically that planet dies. The Doctor watches it. He comes back to the modern, uh, the, to, to his universe, the one that he is used to, with normal-looking Liz Shaw with blonde hair and the much more pleasant brigadier without the eye patch and without the gash across his head. And he literally goes into the darn, uh, to Professor Stallman's, you know, main work area with a, with a, I don't know if it's a wrench or whatever, starts bashing the hell out of stuff. And, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, Stallman and his people, now, was, now where the werewolves were, were pretty much, were they in the alternate reality only? I can't remember. It's a little bit... I, no, 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 they're they're definitely in our reality because by the time he gets back, Stallman is fully transformed into uh, into one of the wolves, and uh, this is one of the things that you know makes it makes it uh, difficult to get everything turned off. Uh, the the doctor ends up killing him with a fire extinguisher, you know, by freezing him. Did he die? Oh yeah. I guess he did, did he? You know, it's so funny. I've seen the episode so many goddamn times, but I guess that seven episode thing is sort of like you know watching Doctor Zhivago. I got to watch it twenty times to get every single fact right, <laughs> every detail. Um, but yeah, I mean, and uh, and and so he does. I mean, these are like you know these are like these green shaggy looking. Where I don't understand this. This is one of those, you know. Hey, let's let's talk about this kind of thing. Okay, so you're from the center of the earth. It's super hot. The green liquid's burning. And one thing, and let's put this off to the side because I want to talk about this too, is the sound in this episode. But let's go back to the, so you're like this, you're this creature. You touch this stuff. You start to mutate. You get more and more savage. Uh, at first, you're kind of just a green-faced looking guy with slob coming out of your mouth and you're killing people. Uh, yeah. But then eventually you turn into this full-on furry looking thing. Why in the fuck do you need to have hair when you're that damn hot? Because it's a it's a it's a nice creepy makeup, man. That's what that's, it is. That's exactly what it is. But that still don't make sense. Okay, can we admit that? I still love it. I love it dearly. But the thing is, is like, okay, we're lava. We're these lava creeps. We're this through this the center of the earth temperature thing. But we have a bunch of hair. I would have had some kind of a like completely bald, no hair, something, maybe reptilian or something. We probably would have gone back to the Silurians at the yeah, sea. Yeah, I was about to say, sort of like, they, just, they just done the Silurians two-story, you know, like two stories previous. Sure. I don't think they could have flown. Yeah, you know? and this is not a complaint because I love my lava werewolves. But anyway, let's talk Let's talk about <laughs> this. This to me is almost one, and I actually talked to Tim Lucas about this before, okay. about watch this episode, is there's been a few movies that have done this too. This episode starts off 
with a normal audible level. As they start to drill, the sound starts to pick up, not only in the workrooms and all that kind of stuff, but the sounds of the monsters, which Dr. Who, uh, 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 Dr. John Smith uh, relates to <laughs> no- yes. no- noises he heard at Krakatoa decades earlier and all this kind of stuff. But you've got this sort of sound that just keeps building and building and building, and it will not let you go. But then on top of that, you've got this digital, uh, it's not digital at the time, but electronic sounding sort of growls from these werewolves, like the first technician who gets it, gets, gets affected. He's like, like that. And there's, there's this noise, but there's also these sounds little thing. And it's like, it keeps building and the, the whole show keeps doing this. And I found myself being incredibly impressed, even from the first viewing of the show is that like, unlike any other doctor who episode, the sound built and built to this sort of climax where you're, you're totally like leaning forward in your seat while you're watching the show. And not only that, but the only thing that breaks the noise of all this drilling equipment and all this intensity is that the monsters sound even more wild than what's going on. And I, I love that about this show. I think it's one of the great things, artistic things about this show is the use of sound. And you're right. That sound design, as they and and that sound, is, you know, it's it's as they're getting closer and closer. They're driving, you know, the the Stallman is pushing the 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 drill to go faster and faster. He wants to he wants to do this uh, on some bizarre timeline, and things are getting out of control. And so this the sound is amping up, and people and and you you start to notice it. The, the the noise is there on the set, and so the actors are having to talk above it. And that adds something to their performance as well. It really does put everybody in the mindset, and it makes everything feel that much more realistic. Yeah. Where it, they're having to talk above this horrible noise, and it's uh, it's it's pretty great because in those final scenes, when uh, it finally all crescendos down and they're able to stop the damn drill, it's you know they're literally having to yell at each other to be understood. Yeah, and uh, I think that I think that you're right. That is a, a great element that they that they built into the design of the show as this because the sound gets louder and louder as the danger gets closer and closer to happening. Before we, you know, as we get closer and closer to having a repeat of the problem that we we faced on the uh, now destroyed Earth in the alternate timeline. Right. There's and and also to the use of steam and the equipment and the lights and everything like that too. Yeah. Well, I saw the malfunction report on number two pipe several days ago. I saw no report of its repair. I assumed you must have overlooked. I overlook nothing, Sir Keith. The malfunction on number two pipe's not sufficient to warrant a stoppage in the drilling. And you have no authority to order one. Professor Stallman, as executive director of this project, my concern... Your concern is with such important matters as the canteen facilities and the new roster for the cleaners. Anything to do with the drilling is my concern and mine alone. And that includes minor maintenance problems. Surely in a situation like this, there's no such thing as a minor problem. Mr. Keith, I'll make a bargain with you. You stay away from my drilling, and I'll let you run your canteen. I would I would love to say that um, although this was the last appearance of uh, of Liz Shaw in a regular episode, she did get to return in the Five Doctors, yes. which was really nice. Yes, 
that was a fun show. I remember missing that the night that it broadcast in the United States. I was so mad. I, I did not know it. I was out on a date, and the show had already started. And uh, my girlfriend goes, you know, the Doctor Who reunion show was on tonight. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I called my mom from the restaurant and told her to put on the show and describe to me from a payphone to describe to me what she was seeing. She's like, I don't know what the hell I'm Are seeing. Are you kidding me? I'm like, oh my God. And I finally saw it like six or nine months later. But I, I love that episode with the Raston warrior chopping up Cybermen and stuff. But it was great seeing Liz Shaw in it again, yeah. too. She was great. There's so many, There's so that, you know, it's one of those, okay, we're getting everybody, we're getting the gang back together. We're getting the band back oh, yeah. together. But any, any, anytime, yeah, anytime, you got, uh, anytime you got Troughton back, and you got uh, an opportunity for Trout Brigadier. Yeah, Brigadier. Anytime you got Brig- Troughton and Pertwee back, so that they got to because they only got to really do it twice, which was the, the three doctors and the five doctors, where they they got to play off of each other. That was just always a blast. Yeah, I think the only thing that was missing from it is that, and I think nowadays, if if this person could go back and relive that time period, I think Tom Baker would have shown up because I think over the years he softened to. The, the I don't know whatever it was was going on with Doctor Who at the time, yeah. but I mean he's definitely come back like he did with that spectacular 50th anniversary ending that he did with uh, Matt Smith, yeah. which was so damn good. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him in that, but that's still it, 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 the the 20th anniversary Doctor show was great. Um, yeah, I, I mean I basically were leaving people with whatever the hell happened at the end of the show, but the show was great. It's fun. It's intense. It is got some cheap special effects. There's some points where you kind of go, "Yeah, boy, that's a miniature," or "Gee, that's like a video effect or whatever." But who gives a shit? I mean, this is great. Yeah, but stuff. it also has some really this, great, you know, action sequences as well with real stunts. Yes, they got havoc doing the stunts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing I love about British the British actors is that they can look at a bad special effect. And they believe it's happening. It's like the same stuff in some of the, some of the lesser uh, horror films, uh, the lesser uh, films with like, well, even like with Hammer, somewhere Peter Cushing is like, you know, swinging his medical case at a at a very cheap looking bat, but <laughs> yes. he believes it. He believes it, and you go, shitty looking bat, great looking Peter Cushing who's trying to kill it. I'll let that a go. Good, a, and a, good same thing sell, a good actor can sell a bad effect. He sells it, and I think on Doctor Who, I think they sell it quite beautifully. Um, I remember when this stuff was for uh, for the United States was pretty damn brand new, and people were digging it. I mean, they dug this stuff, oh, yeah, and uh, I don't I don't think it's gone away. And uh, I think uh, uh, as an alternative to the modern uh, let's stick a Roman candle up your ass and, and 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 put you in a room of gasoline to make sure that you know everything's blowing up and going at super top speed whatever movie or television show it is let's my god let's drink Michael Bay films for the rest of our lives the Doctor Who is is fun for people that you're still enjoying some intensity but it doesn't have to be just shoved down your throat to the point where you're like um yeah I'm I'm so I'm so excited I'm bored and I think this is a good balance for that. Well, I I've got I've always said and I'm far from the only person to put it this way is that one of the things that that makes British science fiction even on a low budget 
good is that they concentrated on turning out the best scripts that they could get their hands on. Even when the episodes, even when the, the scripts aren't as good as you might hope they are, the, the general median line of the scripts over time is higher than average for what you would be getting in this country, to be blunt. The, the, the average script is better for Doctor Who than your average script was for, let's say, even a show that I love, something like The Six Million Dollar Man. It really just it, well, it really yeah. just was okay, and that that's because they they knew that that's what they could spend more time on and get right. Whereas they did not have money to throw at special effects, you know, and right get the parts right that you can and hope that those sell everything that you can't really get done the way you wish you could. And I think right. that's one of the one of the reasons why Doctor Who survived as long as it has survived as long as it has even in the initial incarnation, is because although there were dud, there were dud stories here and there, the, the, they were working hard to craft as good a script, as good a story as they could. And so, yeah. even if it's a story that doesn't necessarily appeal to you as much as some other story, it's at least as well-crafted as they could make it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny to me, and, and I don't even dislike this show in the United States. I actually have some love for this show, but You've got a videotape show in Britain, and it's called Doctor Who. Okay, it's it's fairly like even the even the adults can sit there and go, "Oh yeah, let's put that on and watch that." In our country, the videotape science fiction show around close to not quite close, but close to around that same time is Land of the Lost. Yeah. Now think about the difference between those two shows. Now Land of the Lost kind of tried to step up to the plate as it went along. But it still was a lot more of a children's show than Doctor Who was for people in the United States. I think that it, it, it tried to get into, I mean, we actually had science fiction writers on Land of the Lost. But could you imagine if Land of the Lost had started out like where it ended up near the end of its run at the beginning it would have been even more of a classic. I mean, there's people that still love Land of the Lost. I still, I still love the show. But it's a children's show with with some smarts, whereas Doctor Who is a children's show that adults could enjoy, want to watch, yeah. want to watch as well. And and uh, that's the thing about I think if Land of the Lost had lasted ten years, it might have gone all the way to being a full blown, not adult show leaving the children out. But I think it would have been it, it tried to get smarter as it went along. But Doctor Who was already there. You know. I agree. I completely so, agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, great show, great episode. Uh, long. I love it. I want those, you know, super colossal David Lean episodes of <laughs> yes. uh, do- of uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, I think it's uh, the, the the next season of uh, of Pertwee episodes. I think there were like three or four six episode shows, and it's just like that's exactly that's exactly the kind of stuff that just. It draws me like a magnet, man. The longer the story, I just, I just love those long stories. Well, I well, love wallowing in them. Well, that says something about you, and I, and I, and I'm like you too. I mean, I'm like, wow. They, I mean, what was the one? Uh, was it? What was the one with the with the Santarans or something walking through the TARDIS? It was a Tom Baker episode. It was really long. It was. Um, what was? Oh that? wait a minute. Are you talking about the? Uh, there was the. 
the Santarn experiment, which was actually only two no, that episodes was two episodes. No, there was a really long, did, long, long, long where, where they did something where uh, where there was multiple episodes with uh, it was Tom Baker. It was one of the, it was I think it was the longest of his show, and it's, I thought it went longer than most of the regular episodes. But I remember really liking it. And I thought that was a long episode too, or a long arc, a long story arc. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I can, I can hear you typing, so you must be. Trying I'm to trying to figure. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember because what I remember. Anytime you mention uh, Tom Baker and the Santarans, it's the it's the Santaran experiment that I immediately get. No, to no, you. that was two episodes. It was supposed to be four. He yeah. hurt his leg, and so it went to two, which is also a fun episode. It's amazing that it was two. Two, two episodes, but it worked. Yeah, but it led it led directly into the awesome Genesis of the Daleks. Oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That's a great yeah. one. Oh, man, I love that one. Davros. But no, um, anyway, I, I don't want to keep I don't want to keep the show going on. We're, we'll, we'll be we'll be our show is way longer than uh, than Inferno. Oh, you're this, thinking about maybe invade the invasion of time. I think so. I think that's the one where. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty cool episode. But how many episodes was that? Was it all? six? Yeah, see, that was a little long for for Tom yeah. Baker. Um, I like that stuff. I like it when it gets kind of an epic feel, and I'm sure if if you think that way and I think that way, I, I, I'm sure we're not the only ones. For God's sake. Oh, I, yeah, I, I doubt we are. There, there's a there's a great joy in those longer stories because, like I say, you get you get to to really kind of spend a lot of time with the characters that, in say, like a four a four episode story, you don't necessarily always do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, man. I'm glad you picked this because I, I wanted to. I, I've always, I, you know, I've a few years ago I did uh, the two Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies with Steve Sullivan because there's such there's such outlier things in the the world of Doctor Who, but it's just a, it's such a joy to 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 dig into a classic Who episode, a really really good one, and kind of just talk about what makes it work and all the things that are so joyous about it it's 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 a lot of fun i mean if if it were up to me we would talk about uh the war games and like dig into every episode all 10 episodes uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's insane i like it i mean there's nothing wrong with that but i i thought you picked this episode uh, no, I, I thought I, sure I thought you said something about you want to do a Doctor Who episode sometime and you said yeah you, know, you like, said inferno no no, yeah. no you said you said inferno and I was like, yeah, because I love that episode as much as you do. I thought you suggested it, and then I jumped on it. I swear to God. Yeah, I, you, may be, you, may be, you may be right. It doesn't matter. You may be right I there. mean, I, I think it was one of those moments where, like, holy shit, Rodney, we agree on something. So it was like, it was probably just a synergy. But either way, I think I think if, if we had, because here's what did not happen. You and I did not have a conversation as to which John Pertwee episode to pick. We jumped on Inferno like, Immediately, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. Like, a and, that, and that and that kind of says something about the strength of the uh, of the story. I think. I think so. I think it's it's incredibly fun. Um, my God, I mean, I wish in television we had more stuff like this have have happened. It was great. I love it. I absolutely love it. Cool, cool. I have no idea what we'll talk about next, but we'll have to figure that out. Yeah, we'll, I know, we'll talk. I know you're going to be busy like this next upcoming month, but we'll talk. Uh, uh, we'll talk. I've got so much on my plate; it's insane. Oh, your poor little baby, so so needed by the universe. Oh, go go go! Sniff some glue, man. Jeez. I, I did. That's why I'm talking like that. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much for coming back on the show, man. Thanks, buddy. I had a great time. Bye. Bye.
blind in the oxygen tent Sold my eyes, now my trousers fit again Yeah, yeah I blew my stash on hallucinogenes You love my song, well I don't know what it means No She wears my nose ring She's really beautiful She's hung up on a jealousy kid And I'm a renaissance man But she just can't do it No 